gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to episode 112 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. I'm Brendan. Brendan, it is Kid in the Candy Store time. Yeah, we're doing the Slaves of Darkness Battle Tome. I've said on the last two shows that I think that this is probably the best 3.0 book that Games Workshop has written so far, that it's the Battle Tome that Stormcast deserves to be. (laughs) Yes. But this is the book that we're going to be going over. We just spent the last 10 minutes... Uh, really talking about the way that we want to present this book to you because there are so many moving pieces. There are so many things. There's a lot of nuance. There are a lot of intricacies in it. So we're going to do our best to strike a balance between detail, you know, and not boring you to death. (laughs) So hopefully we manage that. But that's the show. The show is the Battle Tome Review. And then at the end, we'll talk about we're going to go on a little bit of a holiday break. So this is probably going to be the last episode you're going to hear for 2022. Yeah. You know, so enjoy it because it'll be a long one. Yeah, for sure. And again, just go to show close. You know, as always, check your timestamps and stuff. But just head on down there. Just we're going to talk a little bit longer about what we expect to do in terms of postings and and those kind of things the next couple few times around. So all good, man. Let's head right on over to the whispers from the warp. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brennan, your hobby? Yeah, so I have painted 10 Plague Monks for my obligatory Skaven army from Rantathon. I have decided to go with a malicious compliance scheme where I am painting this army, I am hobbying it, it is getting done, Yeah. but I am going to create the most visually offensive from a color's perspective army that I can put on the table. (laughs) It's great. If I'm going to hate this process... (laughs) I'm going to make you, the opponent, hate looking at it. It is going to be obnoxious and ridiculous and awful. (laughs) You've got a great start out of the gate with the rainbow colors so far. It's it's very good. Just nonsense. Yeah, it's great. But, you know, I mean, deep down, it's got to be kind of fun, too, to throw off the shackles of, you know, I'm going to have a paint scheme, you know, and it's going to be consistent through. There will be consistent elements, right? You know, like I'm doing the rats in like apothecary white and oh, okay. I'm highlighting them up. But like, you know, what is usually the unifying thing, the quote unquote uniform, right? You know, the robes and, you know, the different bandages and like the different things that like you have in your army that are the details that come across as the same or similar. There will be no sameness. You know, a unit of 20 plague monks could have 15 different colors yeah, in it and you're just gonna go so wild oh, so dumb <laughs> great yeah so that's so great started on that i keep getting real tempted to put together some of my chosen from my chaos box mm-hmm. and start working on painting them but like i know i need to work on my rantathon rats because i know the next thing that i have to work on is going to be my adepticon team stuff mm-hmm. and you know leave that under wraps but like last year it'll consume probably two to three months of of mm-hmm. hobby time so yeah. Yeah. we're right at that two to three month window right now we're getting started on that it's yeah not that f- we've settled on roughly what we're doing so 
Cool. I got to knock these out, as many of these out now as I can. Same crew as last year? Yep, same crew as last year. Nice. That's really cool. That's excellent, man. Good. (laughs) Yeah, I reached into my Slaves of Darkness box. Yes, you did. And I pulled out three Theradons. I just love the models. I know people are talking about, you know, the the hunched back with... I love them. I don't care. They just look cool to me. And so I built them and primed them. I don't know when I'm going to get to painting them. I am having the same issue of just reaching back in there and grabbing 10 Chosen and a Demon Prince and getting that box just built and primed. But I also know that I have my Sylvaneth project, kind of like you have things you need to get done. I really want to get my Sylvaneth done because there are not a lot of models in that army, honestly. Mm-hmm. in my army that I'm putting together. Go quick, yeah. And so I needed to focus on that. And so I did build and prime another Durthu and another Ancient. So I have two of each of those and I have a regular Tree Lord then. Five big guys right now. Depending on that list, I'm either going to have two or three units of Tree Revs. So I've actually started painting my second unit of Tree Revs. So that's all my hobby so far. And I have a color scheme for the rest of the big guys because that Durthu that I did, that ghosty one, he's obviously very unique. I'm not going to paint everything like that. Yeah, so that's what I've been up to when I'm trying to plan for getting the big guys painted now. Nice. Because all four of them are ready to go. Pre-orders, there's nothing. Just like last time we did this, there's nothing there. (laughs) There just isn't it, which is fine. In terms of pre-orders and releases, this is the time. You could just tell when you walk into stores and stuff. This GW just wants to sell those battle boxes. They just want to get the battle boxes done, done, done. You buy this, 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 this. This is what's all over the place. In terms of Sigmar, we have, speaking of Slaves to Darkness, all of the cultist warbands are up for sale and fortunately none of them are out of stock yet which i think is cool i'm glad that people can get them if they have been listening to stuff or they listen to us and they think oh that would be a cool one to get they can actually get them now which is nice so there isn't a whole lot to talk about i think overall you know with the stuff that's out or that's coming out there was the previews for some video stuff there was something for blood bowl they had a second pre like a play actual you know go into the game for the next space marine game so you could see actual gameplay stuff that was very cool because that looks like a game that i might actually get because i did get the first one and played through it and it was pretty cool yeah so if you're into space marines and this one's got like tyranid focused i think from what i can tell that's about it for that stuff games played how about you individually has there been any other non-sigmar stuff for you? uh non-sigmar i've been playing my f1 game yeah uh, i've been getting better at it like i brought all of the assists on i brought the difficulty basically down to zero yes and i've been slowly turning off all of the assist things and i'm starting to slowly put together like more competitive races okay which is you know i'm happy with the AI still is really giving some stuff to you. I haven't taken the damage off yet because. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk about damaging your car in just a minute because we're gonna. <laughs> I'm, I'm still wrecking my F1 cars. Otherwise, that's been fun. I still have really enjoyed like the upgrading your car process and like your basically oh, yeah. like your research trees and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Oh yeah. And like the metric I'm using personally to see like where the car is is how my so like your teams of two 
how my AI driver is doing. My AI driver is now starting to finish in the top half, which is where you score points and, and that kind of thing. Okay. So like, that's good. I like that because the first season, you truly start from zero. You start at the back of the grid and like any sure. points you can steal is cool. Now I've got a driver who's, you know, starting to take some here okay. and there and that. So that, that's what I've been doing. I've enjoyed it because it's also like kind of a mindless game. Like I can do a race weekend and I can upgrade the next set of things and I can, you know, roll sim forward to the next race and then I, you know, turn it off and go do whatever I was going to go do. Cool. Like, yeah, yeah. I know you were enjoying it a lot. Yeah. So Civ 6, I downloaded and actually put in the new DLC. It's the first DLC that I put into the game, and it's really made a huge difference. There's probably about, I think, 10 or 12 new civilizations, which are very unique. So what I'm doing now is I'm going through and I'm taking those two at a time, taking those on two at a time. And it's been a real challenge because they got some really neat individual benefits every civ has their own things their own set of buildings and other things that they do so it's been really fun it's been fun to interact as you do with the ai because sometimes you get to directly interact with them and that's been cool there's been new buildings that have been put in place and other new parts and pieces and so when you come up on those normally they have these natural wonders and if you find one of the natural wonders of the world like they have white cliffs of dover and they have mount everest you know and some other things but they actually put the bermuda triangle in there okay so i'm a big proponent of going to this thing called exploration as soon as i can and building caravels so i can go out and explore the rest of the world see where you can put civilizations and yeah and it's really and where the opponents are and, and yeah yeah But it's really been fun and a lot of new discoveries and stuff like that. The other thing I have done is our friend Mark and his family and I have been playing uh, Curse City, which has been really neat. We just did our second kind of campaign game this last week and much tougher than the first one. (laughs) Almost every one of us almost died in this one. Somehow we pulled it out. I don't know how, but we finally made it through. It was a scavenge mission, so you had to pick and find 10 different points where there could be a treasure or whatever it was it got pretty gnarly it really did that was really cool and looking forward to the next time we do that probably be not this week but next week really really fun and i'm just so glad to be playing curse city and to not have to have had painted the models you know because mark just did an exceptional job of that and the people who are playing his family are really enjoyable people just it's really cool so very very neat we have had other games as well. We did play another game. Yes, we did. We played Formula D we with did. Dave. Our friend Dave came up, which was awesome. And we ran you guys through a practice lap, but then we did teams where we each ran two cars for a two-lap race. I think this is becoming a theme with me. So just like my chariot race at RockCon where my chariot just like fell apart right at the finish line and I kind of slid across, you know, my bloody body. I was probably about... 10 or 15 feet from the finish line, I bumped into the back of Dave's car and my car exploded. (laughs) And I was out of the race. It was like, oh my God. How many times had I rolled for damage? Let's back it up one level here. Okay, yes, okay. So we finished up our first lap and basically everyone had one car that was in pretty good shape and one car that was a little bit rougher. Yes, that's a good summary, yep. I kept going with my car that was in good shape and I pitted my junk car and Mm. I was the only person to pit. So my junk car was in pretty good shape except for, and you get to repair one thing on your car. I decided to go for an extra transmission because I had seen that, you know, you typically, you don't roll a lot of, you know, body damage and it's one in 20. And so I'll take the extra transmission. 
and I've got all the tires in the world so I can start overshooting things. Like I can field two very competitive cars and not super have to worry about what the dice rolls are. Mm -hmm. Cool, loving this idea. My main car is out in front and my other car is gonna be in the kind of in the pack with your two other, you know, better shaped cars. Mm -hmm. Fine. We get halfway through the second lap and Dan is actively putting his damaged car in danger with his own other car. And, you know, I'm sitting here feeling pretty good. I'm like, oh, well, you know, Dan's rolling, like, every turn, like, to do damage to his car. Almost. I'm actively trying to keep this other car out of danger because, obviously. And Dave's good car pulls right up next to mine. I roll one. That car blows up. I'm like, oh, God. Like, are you kidding me? So for the rest of this lap, this final lap of the two, Dan continues to do this put his car in harm's way strategy, which doesn't hurt him at all for some reason. My main car crossed the finish line like three turns before you guys. Oh, yeah, you were way ahead. I had landed some really good dice rolls earlier in the second lap. So I'm just watching at this point. Mm -hmm. And Dan rolls super well he gets right there you know you are two squares from getting over the finish line if you have another turn you're gonna finish in second yeah dave rolls just high enough to pull up his car his good shape car behind your car that's in front there so he bumps me yep he bumps you and you roll one (laughs) and that car explodes And so Dave crosses the line in second. In the meanwhile, we had two cars that were at the back, basically, for the whole race. Your one car spun out, and Dave's slowpoke McGee was just kind of slow and steadying his race through the back. You get to the finish line, like, two or three short, and Dave is in fifth gear. Yeah. You know, so on that dice, it's 11 spaces to 20 spaces. Mm-hmm. And he's like 16 spaces away from, yeah, from crossing the finish line. got a good line. shot. And he is just like one square behind you, which <sighs> means that you are going to roll first for the next turn. So you cross the line in third. Such a cool game. It was super compelling. It was super interesting. And I was so annoyed at the end of it because... <laughs> I looked at this and I was like, I could have gone one, two. Like, I understood the board and you guys are making fun of me. This F1 game is helping me. Like, I know what I'm doing. And I raced in Monaco in the F1 game yesterday. Which is the racetrack we raced at on Formula D. I was in the video game. And I was like, yep. And here's the corner where you got to be here for three turns. And I was like, and you come in at second and then you come up to third and then you come out at fourth. And, you know, that's how you get around this track quickly. And and I was like, they're making fun of me because I... (laughs) It is just a great game. It was super cool. And lots and lots of fun. Now, the way we're talking about it, it sounds very random, but it's not, really. That You have to seriously manage your speed, and you have to manage your resources, because you have something called wear points on different components of your car, and you get to choose how much of that you can load up. A lot of it is, though, there is, just like in real races, there are things that happen. So I think that's what the dice roll range reflects, Mm -hmm. that you don't always get what you want exactly, which is good, because then it makes it more fun, (laughs) to our experience, and more compelling. That's great. I'm so glad we had a good time with that. I think we had talked about it after we finished. I'm going to get a couple more race courses now and, and give those a try. Sigmar games for you. Anything since last? Okay. Nope. I haven't either. Uh, events. Acon registration is about a month out now. I think it's the 8th still, so a little bit less than a month by the time we post this. You know, get ready for that. 
whatever, I think previews are going to come out in another week or so, from what I understand, so you'll be able to tell what's happening and what different events are there. I know you and I both have had to submit our event descriptions, so... Yes, that's done. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I haven't had any feedback, so I'm assuming what I submitted was okay. I have pretty much decided I think I'm going to go to Winter Free Con in January. Okay. Because I just had such a great time last year, and I enjoy that different kind of gaming. Yeah, I think I'll give it a try and uh, drive down to Freeport, so... That's it for Whispers, though, my friend. All right. And let us move on to the big kahuna book, Slaves to Darkness. Cool. Man, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So, Dan, opening thoughts. Oh. This book. At first, I was overwhelmed. I didn't like the Eye of the Gods table because it seems so random, you know, and we've talked before about how in the competitive place when you go to tournaments, you want to reduce the variability that you experience. But then the more I looked at it and then I looked at the other pieces that are related to Eyes of the Gods, it was like, oh no, this is a good thing. Like, this is a really important part of the book. I just like that there's so many, as you put it earlier, we were talking, you know, levers to pull. And, you know, we talked about we went through the Lumineth book, how just changing your sub-faction there could make a very significant difference. And here, it's like that on steroids. Yeah. I mean, it's not just changing sub-factions. There are marks, there are banners, there's the War Shrine, there is Eye of the Gods. You've got so many different things. You've got all the enhancements besides banners that can go in there. There's some of these enhancements that are just scary, like things you can do to turn off. And we'll talk about it. You're turning, literally turning off rules for the other army. And you're going, man, that's really good. If I combine that with this thing, all of a sudden this little nothing unit can really become something else. And just really, really fun to go through it a couple few times, really, try to get ahead around the book. But it's going to be really, really fun to talk about. I said at the top of the show, I'll say it again. I said it last episode. I said it the episode before. I think this is the best 3.0 book Games Workshop has written. The list building phase on this is really, really exciting. You can write one list, give it one mark, and play it in one Legion, and that is a different book than playing it as a different mark in the same Legion, or as playing the same mark in a different Legion, or, you know, you build a totally different list, you kit out different, you know, artifacts, and like, and you don't have to go mono mark, right? That was, oh, no. That was the thing from the last book where you were really penalized for going in a lot of different directions with your marks. You were highly incentivized to go one mark, one direction, mm-hmm. stay in that lane. And there was really only a couple of meaningful choices to make, mm-hmm. truly. This one, all five marks, right, including mm-hmm. the mark of undivided, are good, are meaningful, have a place, have a purpose. Mm-hmm. You are not so shoehorned into going mono there are benefits to doing it in that you have heroes that are going to be able to give different things to that that same marked unit sure but honestly the command abilities that come along with the different mark aren't hugely impactful in my mind the Mm -hmm. base mark itself i think is the thing that ends up being most useful yeah it's just so weird to think about the fact that you could have four different units on the table with four different marks and they could all be effective and yeah fill a specific role and yeah so that's really cool yeah this is a really interesting book. It fills the 3.0 requirement that we've seen as a consistent thread throughout is almost all these units are units that you can see yourself taking. Mm-hmm. You can really build in the direction that you want to. There is going to be some real competitive stuff that comes out of this book. Absolutely. And some really fun stuff, too. You could just do some crazy things with individual units and then just watch that happen and go, okay, my job here is done. You know, 
and have that part of your army be the fun part. So why don't you talk to us because we're going to start Marks of Chaos about the general rule for marks. Yes. Every unit in your army, provided it does not have a mark, it's can... It's not locked in at one mark. Exactly. Can pick up a mark as long as you have a Slaves of Darkness keyword, which you obviously will for the most part in this book. Mm-hmm. There are a few units that can't get them. It's fine. We'll come across those as we come across those. You can give, you know, Undivided, Korn, Zinch, Nurgle, and Slanesh, as long as they have the Mark of Chaos keyword. Mm-hmm. Again, pretty much everything's going to have it. There's going to be a couple that don't. Yep. If it has the Mark of Chaos keyword in a Slave's Darkness army, you have to give it a Mark. If you're a wizard, you can't take Corn. Right. Fine. Yeah. You know, nothing to see here. You right. know, there is, you know, ignore the man behind the curtain. Like, right. The way to get around that is to, you know, give your Corn hero the Arcane Tome, and they become a wizard, which is stupid. But... It's the way it works. So, Dan, which of these marks do you want to pick to start talking about? Well, I th- one of the things before we talk about them is we're not going to read v- verbatim all of the rules. What we are going to say is that each mark has a specific rule associated with it and benefit. It also has a specific command ability. Except for Zinch. Except for Zinch, yep, because Zinch is Zinch. But they have a spell instead of a command ability. I would like to start with... Nurgle, because okay. I think it's it's pretty good. So the Nurgle mark gives you minus one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target this unit. Pretty good. Minus one to wound rolls. The command ability is at the start of the combat phase. This is something else we're going to point out because these different command abilities can be used at certain times. So this is at the start of the combat phase. After a unit fights for the first time in that phase, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three. On a three up, that unit suffers D3 mortals. Cool. Yep, you get it in the right place, you can make a whole bunch of enemy units roll for mortal wound chip damage. So yeah. that's good. How about you? What's your first I'll take corn. Yeah. Corn is silly to me. Um, you had one of the attacks characteristics by corn slaves of darkness units if you made a charge move in the same turn. Mm-hmm. The command ability is nothing to write home about. You use it at the start of your charge phase. Your corn slaves of darkness unit that receives the command after they make a charge move, you pick an enemy unit within one and roll a dice, and on a two up they suffer D3 mortal Impact. Wounds. Everybody gets impact. Woo. For instance, it's, you never know. It's one unit on a two up, it does D3 mortal yeah, wound. Nothing to write about. If you about. have an excess of command points, fine. But by using it at the start of your charge phase, you're foregoing the opportunity to use the reroll charge on that unit. Yes. But the rule for plus one to attack characteristics we're going to talk about some units where that can be really fun so this is ridiculous (laughs) i want to talk about undivided at first when i looked at that it was like uh, i don't know but what happens here is mortal and ogroid units that are not unique and most of them are not gain eye of the gods Plus, undivided heroes can re-roll any one dice when they use Eye of the Gods table, what we're going to talk about. That's really good, Brendan. Solid, yeah. Man, that's very solid because, again, we're going to talk about the variability of the table. But I just love the fact that you can give Eye of the Gods benefits to mortal units, which is a lot of those war bands we're going to talk about. That is really cool because some of them are pretty fun. <laughs> they have so a lot of potential already. And to give them another buff or give them a chance at one is really cool. And I like the fact that Ogroids, which I'm going to really love talking about, is able to get Eye of the Gods. The command ability is at the start of the combat phase until the end of that phase, plus one to wound rolls to target a hero or monster, which isn't bad. Well, and those are things that trigger Eye of the Gods, so... Yep. Especially if you are yourself a you know monstrous hero or something like that, where you're already at plus one to hit, for instance, <laughs> right? Getting plus one to wound here, plus one useful. to hit and wound, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. How about a second one for you? I really like both of what's left here, but I'll go yeah. Zinch. Okay. So the generic that you get is your Zinch slaves darkness units when affected by an enemy spell. You roll a dice on a six. 
has no effect. In addition, your Zinch Slave's Darkness Wizards know the following spell, Warp Reality. It's a casting value of a 6 and range of 9. Successfully cast, pick 1 Zinch Slave's Darkness unit visible to the caster. Remove it from the battlefield and set it up again within range of the caster, more than 9 inches from all enemy units. And it was FAQ'd, you can't take a movement after that. The writing in book would indicate that you can, but... You Please, cannot. You cannot. Thank goodness. And by the way, there are pretty significant FAQ things that we're going to talk about as we go through this to correct what's in the book. Yep. All right. This is huge. You get to pull a unit off of wherever they are as long as they're visible and bring them to where the wizard is. The unit that you pick just has to be visible. So it could be anywhere you on the table. You could be on the other corner of the table. And you could put it forward nine inches from nine inches the from, wizard yeah. is. And you've got some heroes who are wizards who are pretty significant. You have a too. lot of things that are... Yeah. Yeah, so that that's wizards. not bad. I think that's something that people are overlooking is the Zinch mark because of the ward. It, it's a six-up spell ward, fine. But I think they're overlooking the potential for warp reality. The last one we have is Slanesh, right? Yep. And this one is really good. So the base rule is plus one to run and charge rolls. Excellent. But combined with the command ability, it's just amazing. It could be used at the start of the charge phase. A unit can run and charge later in the same turn. Poof, man. You know you're going to put this on them? You've already maxed out that run, let's say. He used the command point to give him the six-inch run. Guarantee that. And there are ways, listeners, that you can give pretty easily or pretty reliably a lot of units of 3d6 charge. Yep. And so it's like, boom. Man, even if you're like base six move, you're going to get across the board pretty quick with this. And here's the trade-off, Brennan, you know, we're talking about is that some of these marks are really good, like plus one to your attack characteristic. Oh yeah, you know, raise your hand. I want to take that one. But then you're going, or... I can be minus one to wound in combat. I can be minus one to or... I can be eye of the gods. Or... I could be halfway across the board. Yep. You know, do you want to get there more reliably? Do you want to hit a lot harder when you get there? Do you want to be a lot more resilient? There are choices to be made here, but that's the fun part about it, I think, is that you can customize this for certain units. You know, unit of warriors. You take a unit of 20 warriors and put them on something. We're going to talk about them. And you give them a Mark of Nurgle. Good luck getting them off that objective. Well, especially when you give them the Ooh, banner. Yeah, you give them a... We're going to talk about the banner. It's like, whoa, man, they become really tough to move. But then you could give your Chaos Knights another mark, <laughs> right? <laughs> so very, very cool. So that's the marks, and that's what they do. And one of the things I wanted to talk about real quickly, Brendan, is I have put together, and I know there are other ones out there, a little kind of a chart that's going to break down some of the basic rules for marks, the banners, and the war shrine. And when I post that we put the episode up, I'm also going to post this chart because it's just a word doc so people can use it however they feel appropriate, either army building or while they're playing, whatever. But I think it was helpful for us. I know for me in particular, as I was trying to figure out what everything was. Let's move on to... A fun thing here and good but fun which is the eye of the gods table yeah so the eye of the gods table is from warhammer fantasy battle carried through like a oh, yeah. real cool legacy rule what was you know the warriors of chaos is now the slaves of darkness have which is the ability for your character to upgrade or potentially default uh, <laughs> on their powers sure throughout the battle before it was built around just killing some stuff, and now you have some opportunities to get it more reliably. So the way that it works is at the end of each phase for which each enemy hero or monster destroyed by a friendly Slaves of Darkness unit with the Eye of the Gods keyword 
including those destroyed by an ability or spell used by that Slaves of Darkness unit. Make one roll on the Eye of the Gods table for that Slaves of Darkness unit and apply the effect. Mm -hmm. In addition, if you gain control of an objective previously controlled by your opponent, make one roll on the Eye of the Gods table for each friendly Slaves of Darkness unit with the Eye of the Gods keyword that is contesting it. So that is huge. Mm -hmm. You can swarm an objective that your opponent controls, gain control of it with a bunch of undivided things, and just roll on this table and level up. <laughs> sure. It's not one unit that's contesting it. It's every unit with the Eye of the Gods keyword that's contesting it. Yeah. Yep. That's ridiculous. And the nice thing, I think, too, is that units can roll on this, and now they only roll one dice if yep. it's a unit, and they add two to the score, so you can't become can't a spawn. spawn that's good and if you're a hero you roll 2d6 we're going to talk about ways to make that even more reliable yep. why don't we go through this and just talk about some of the things that are happening here because at first you know people are like oh you shouldn't talk about all of them but i think it's worthwhile because there's some really good stuff in here the mechanics of using this are important too because mm-hmm. your ability to understand where you're going to land and manipulate it is really important yes also it's important to note that some of these effects apply until the end of the battle and the effects are cumulative yes for some of these that's a really big deal yeah it can um, be looking at you eight and nine uh, <laughs> yeah First up is a two, which you can't roll if you're a unit. You can only roll this if you're a hero. Mm-hmm. This hero is slain. Before they are removed from the battlefield, you can add one Slaves of Darkness Chaos spawn to your army. If you do so, set it up within one inch of the hero, then remove this hero from play. So just make sure you have a spawn model somewhere, because it might happen. Yeah, it <laughs> might happen, and if it does, at least you'll have a unit to put on the table. If you can't put a spawn on the table, then your hero is just dead. But, you know, if you're somebody who miscasts a lot, then you might roll this. Yep. <laughs> okay, then snub by the gods... Number three is no result. And number four, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to this unit. If it has no wounds allocated, it's the same, no effect. So that's three and four. I like four, right? Yeah. You know, obviously three, no one wants. No, of um, course. <laughs> but before, seven used to be nothing happened. Right. <laughs> well, seven is very different. Yes. But right. five is the next time this unit's affected by a spell cast by an enemy unit, roll a mm-hmm. dice on a two up. You ignore the effects of this spell on this unit. The unit cannot be affected by this result more than once at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's useful. So you're just carrying this effect with you. And then if your opponent tries to affect you, you get a two up to ignore and then you can do it again. Yeah. Okay. It is a legacy thing where it stays with you through the whole game. Yep. Okay. Great. It stays with you until you're affected by it. Once the effect is triggered, it clears, and then you can pick up another one on the table. Okay. It doesn't refresh automatically. Okay. Then we have unearthly reflexes. You add one to charge rolls made for this unit. Good. Because there are other ways to add to charge rolls and higher charges and stuff, so that's not a bad one. Yeah. Seven, ward of a six up. It's okay. A lot of things have wards of five up against mortals specifically, Mm -hmm. so this gives you a six up against everything. You can still alternate over to your five up against mortals, but resilience is resilience is resilience. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of the Rend Wars that we've referenced before, number eight is Slaughterer's Strength until the end of the battle. So this is one you were talking about. This one carries through. Improve the Rend characteristic of this unit's melee weapons by one. This (laughs) includes the mounts. This includes the mount stand. (laughs) So you're going to have murder ponies. True murder ponies. (laughs) Yeah, that's so great. Nine is Arcane Awakening. Until the Mm -hmm. end of the battle, this unit becomes a wizard. They can attempt to cast one spell in your hero phase and unbind one in the enemy hero phase. If you're already a wizard, they can attempt to cast one additional spell. If you're corn, you treat this result as Slaughter Strength instead, which is the extra rend, which means you are improving your opportunity to get that number eight by a little bit less than 
50 percent mm-hmm. so very very good mm-hmm. and again if this unit has the corn keyword right yep. if you have it corn you can just get slaughter of strength instead yep. so yeah pick up nice. the extra end and then we have Aura of Chaos. Until the end of the battle, this unit has a five-up board. Oh, man. That's another sweet spot to hit. Man, that would be awesome. And then 11 to 12. Everybody's favorite. Dark Apotheosis. And the alternate is what I really like here. Yeah. The normal thing that you can do is you can turn into a demon. You can add a Slaves of Darkness demon prince to your army, set it up within one inch of the hero, and remove this hero from the play. They don't count as being slain. They have the same mark that the hero had. It has the same command traits and artifacts that the hero had if the hero was your general. General, mm-hmm. Demon Prince is now your general. Or you can choose any other result on this table instead. That is so good. Like, I'm thinking of a Chaos Sorcerer, for example, that can give plus one to hit and wound. That's what I want that thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. To my units. I don't want him to turn into a Demon Prince. Right. So now I can pick something else on here, like, for example, give him five that up extra board. spell or a yeah. five up ward. Yeah. But that is really, really cool that they've included that. Yeah. Because a lot of times people would say, oh, God, I it, don't want to. It was mandatory. Yeah. I know. don't want to become a demon prince. That's really, really a cool change to that rule. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. So that's Eye of the Gods. Yep. And then last up is two new heroic actions, which are very cool both. Yes. Now, this applies to friendly slaves of darkness heroes with the Eye of the Gods keyword. Okay, they can take one of these. First one is Pledge to the Dark Gods. Pick one friendly Slave to Darkness hero with the Eye of the Gods keyword. Until the end of that turn, each time you roll for the Eye of the Gods table for that hero, you can roll three dice and pick two that you want. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Reducing that. Reduce variation. Yep. Very, very cool. The other one is Drawn Power. You pick one friendly Slaves of Darkness wizard, and until the end of that turn, when making casting rolls with that wizard, you roll three dice instead of two. However, if the unmodified roll on two or more of the dice is one, the spell miscasts, and the caster suffers d6 mortal wounds instead of d3. Okay. There is a legion that we're going to talk about where this is affected as well. You know, again, you take your chance. It's a dice game. Maybe you're going to lose a wizard, but man, the fact that, that you is roll an, three dice. awesome heroic action. Oof. Especially when we look at the casting value of some of the things we're going to talk about. Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. Having three dice on a seven or eight, really good. All right, Brendan, let us get started with heroes with the big guy Archeon the Everchosen. Very familiar character, but some pretty meaningful and impactful changes. Clocking in at a whopping 860 points. points. Insane. He's seen some upgrades, but a lot of him is very similar. He's gone up to 25 wounds. Mm -hmm. His melee weapons are the same, except for his monstrous claws, which instead of being D6 are now on a table. They go from 5 down to 2. Okay. His movement's the same, his heads are the same, the number of attacks are the same, what they hit on wound on is the same. Okay. Two cast to unbind wizard, still a war master. His armor of Morkar gives him a five up ward. Unmodified war rolls of six, you pick an enemy unit within three inches and they suffer a mortal wound that cannot be negated. That's pretty good. That's super useful. Especially if people are throwing a volume of dice at you, that's really good. Indeed. Then he has By My Will. You use this at the start of the combat phase. Any other friendly chaos unit that receives it, except for itself, till the end of that phase, each time a model in that unit is slain, it can fight. That's super cool. He's a war master, so you can play him in the other marked armies. So if you have a unit that would really benefit in a Nurgle army or a Slanesh army or a Zinch army or a Korn army, that could use him to fight and die. Could be really good. Or if you have an ally unit that you've brought in, There you go. As long as it has a chaos keyword. Exactly. The crown of domination. Enemy units cannot receive rally or inspiring presence while they're within 12 inches of Archeon. 
Mm-hmm. The ever chosen. So every time you're affected by a spell or the ability to an endless spell, four up, you ignore it. Very yeah, cool. pretty cool. The Eye of Shireen. Once per battle at the start of your hero phase, if Archeon is enslaved to Darkness Army, you command and on the battlefield, and there's not another Archeon on the battlefield mm-hmm. that your opponent has, you can roll a dice. It replaces the priority roll for the next battle round. On a 1-3, to three, your opponent must take the first turn of that battle round. On a 4-6, to six, you must take the first turn of that battle round. Favored Warlord. If you are part of a Slave's Darkness army, before you receive your starting command points and before the start of the first turn, you can pick one of the four non-undivided marks to impact Archeon. He's impacted by undivided as well. He's unique, so Eye of the Gods does not impact him, but he does have the ability to use that command ability Mm -hmm. that lets you be plus one to wound against heroes and monsters. Slayer of Kings, it's the same. When you're fighting a hero, two or more to wound rolls of a six, that hero is slain. (laughs) That would be cool. Four dice, yeah, there's chance. Yep. Very cool. Then you've got the three-headed titan. Drogar has three monstrous actions that it can pick from. Filth Spewer, you pick one enemy unit within six inches of this unit, roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in that unit to a maximum of seven. For each three up, it suffers a moral wound. Cool. Skull Gorger, you pick one enemy model within three inches. If you roll a dice, if it's greater than the model's wound characteristic, it is slain, and you can heal a number of wounds allocated to this unit equal to the enemy model's wound characteristic, which means you can pick a five-wound hero and roll a six and heal five wounds, and that hero is also dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. Right. And you've got Spell Eater. You pick one endless spell within 12 inches. On a two-up, that endless spell is dispelled. And if the caster's on the battlefield, they suffer D3 mortal wounds. There you go. That's pretty silly. Yeah. <laughs> Purple Sun, no. <laughs> yeah. At 860, he's real spendy. The things that you put him around him, because this is a very, ex- like, the units in this book are very expensive. Yes. It's tough to feel a lot of things around him, but I think think he's maybe once again worth thinking about putting in the list because okay. he was very prominent and then he was gone and mm-hmm. you know, maybe you'll start seeing him back. Certainly not at the rate that you saw him before, but... No. Yeah, people have to make choices with him too. He's not almost literally unkillable now. <laughs> so, you know what? Hey, that's the price. Oh no. <laughs> Next up is the Demon Prince. The Demon Prince has 10 wounds, 3 up save, 8 inch move, and 10 bravery. Now, the thing here that I like about the Demon Prince now is he's not plug and play. He's not, I'm going to take this Demon Prince with this command ability, this is all I'm going to do, and just throw him out there. There is so many ways, there's so many things you can do with him. I'm just excited to think about his potential and all the different things he can do. So you can take wings. Well, you, yeah, you can take wings. You can take wings or there's another choice. Yeah. Yep. So if he does take wings, he can move 12 instead of eight. But he also has a trophy rack, which is the other option besides wings. Friendly units do not take battle shock tests while they're wholly within nine inches. In addition, each time an enemy hero or monster is destroyed by this unit in the same turn, increase the range of this ability by three. Fine. This unit has a ward of six up. The Hellforged Sword, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with the Hellforged Sword is six, that attack inflicts D3 mortals and the attack sequence ends. And finally, Immortal Champion, you can carry out one of the following heroic actions with this unit instead of other heroic actions. Before I go into those, let's talk about his profiles. He can choose between one of three. He cannot get a weapon and Malefic Talons. Mm -hmm. He has to pick one of the three, including Malefic Talons. So he has a Demonic Axe, which is two inch range, five attacks, three by threes, minus two, two damage. He has the Hellforged Sword, which is on sixes will give you the D3 mortals. That's two inches, five attacks, three by fours, minus one D3. 
and Malefic Talons, one inch, eight attacks, three by threes, no rend, two damage. I think I'm taking the axe. Yeah, I think the axe is the way to go. Certainly seems that way. Reliable, and it's got some really good rend. So we have five, because we have five marks, heroic actions that he can do. Now the thing is, you're gonna mark him, obviously, Mm -hmm. but he can only do the heroic action for that particular mark. There's a way around that, but yes. Yeah, typically what you're gonna do is look at these, how do I want him to function? This is what I'm gonna give him for a mark, because those are the units he can affect. So the first one is Fiendish Speed, if you give him Undivided. Until the end of the turn, first strike applies, very good. The next one is for a Corn Demon Prince. Until the end of the turn, each time an enemy model is slain by wounds allocated from attacks made by this unit, heal one wound allocated to the unit. That would be really nice if he's hunting little battle line units, which he can do pretty effectively. Eldritch Architect, so this is for Zinchmark. If it is the enemy hero phase, you can roll a dice each time a spell targets this unit on a two-up. That spell has no effect on this unit. If it is your hero phase, you can attempt to cast one spell from the Lore of the Damned in the same manner as a wizard, because he does not have the wizard keyword. If this unit is already a wizard, this spell is in addition to any others he can attempt to cast. And you're going, well, how can he become a wizard? Arcane Uh, Tome. Arcane Tome. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. Or if you were a wizard and you transformed into a demon. Right. But this thing on its own is pretty good if you're going to go that way. So this one I really like is the Nurgle Mark. This is just insane. Until the end of the turn, ward rolls cannot be made for enemy units while they're within three inches of this unit. Oh, man. And anybody who's attacking that unit, it's not just him. He's just turning the wards off for that unit. Just have him go around and support other... He could be a support piece in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, wow. Final one is Slanesh. If this unit makes a charge move in this turn, add one to the attacks characteristic of its melee weapons until the end of the turn. I don't like that one very much because you're giving up some of the other marks, which I think are better, and you're really only gaining a potential of two more damage when you think about it. I don't know that it's not worth taking the other ones for this. You're not getting like extra charge. You're not making him faster. You're not doing anything like that, which is typical for Slanesh. I don't like that one very much, but the other ones seem to be pretty good. Yep. So very nice. And again, the utility of the Demon Prince now, the potential is really strong. The next key hero here is Bellicor. You know, keeping things real, real simple here, Bellicor is the same as you remember him. Eight Blade of Shadow attacks that goes down to four. Profile's the same. Rend is the same. Attacks are the same. His movements, his save, all that's the same. You know, he still has ignoring modifiers up or down. You know, the Dark Master is the same. Enemy units that fail Battleshock tests are the same. Within 12 inches, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to this unit. That's awesome. And then his spell, Enfeeble Foe. Casting value of a 6, range 18 inches, pick one enemy unit, they're minus 1 to wound for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit until your next hero phase. Yep. You know, 2 cast, 2 unbind. You know, he's keyword locked into Legion of the First Prince, which is, you know, the new bit here. He has undivided. You know, obviously he can't benefit from the Eye of the Gods component of it. Mm-hmm. But he can issue the command ability to be plus 1 to wound against That's heroes cool. and monsters. Yeah, very familiar. Bellacor. 
is going to end up with a very different role. Legion of the First Prince got rolled into this book, and Legion of the First Prince is very, very, very different. Yeah. So, Dan, you want to talk about our yeah. first real new hero? Yeah, it's Eternus, and this is Blade of the First Prince, is what his moniker is. The model is amazing. We'll talk about the rules, and you can decide for yourself on that. He's movement 10, 9 wounds, 3 up save, 9 bravery. He has 3 profiles. Two of them are for him, and one is for his beautiful horse. The armor for this thing is really cool. He has both of these profiles, so it's not like he needs to choose like, say, the Demon Prince did. So he has a Death Glaive, which is two inches. Both the Death Glaive and the Skull Flail are two inches. Death Glaive is five attacks, three by threes, minus two, two. The Skull Flail is six attacks, three by threes, minus one, one damage. And then the Horse, one inch, three attacks, four by threes, minus one, one. Blade of the First Prince, first strike applies to this unit if it made a charge move. Very good. Network of spies at the start of the hero phase if this unit is within one inch of any friendly chaos legionnaires or friendly furies you gain an extra command point okay not bad free command point isn't a bad thing no and veins of black lightning is at the end of your movement phase if this unit has been slain so this is resurrection yep. mechanic here. Roll 2d6 and add one if Bellicor is on the battlefield. On an 8-up, this unit can be set up anywhere on the battlefield more than 9 inches from all enemy units with all wounds allocated to it removed. Rough. Yeah. First of all, it's on an 8-up. The other thing is, you know, it's not like you're going to be killing him in the first couple few turns. I mean, he's still pretty hard to kill. You might not even get him off the board until, like, turn 4 or 5. Then you got to roll the 8. I don't think you're going to take Bellicor just to get the plus 1, you know? He's okay. He's certainly punchy enough. But I don't know for the cost. I, this is, I think, one of the few that I didn't write down. I think he's 234. Five, am I gonna say? Is that 235, right? Yeah, yep. 235. I don't know. I think I would rather take a Demon Prince for you know the 190 points, 195 points. I think you could get more out of that. It's more flexibility for returns. What do you think about this model and the rules for it? Yeah, so he's locked Legion of the First Prince. Yep. He's locked undivided. Yeah. He's unique, so you can't go Eye of the Gods. Mm-mm. For the same point, give me a Castle Lord on Karkadrak. Yep. You know, who's 220. Yeah, right. And let me roll on the Eye of the Gods table. Let me, even if you leave the mark as undivided to be, you know, the same, mm-hmm. you're at least getting the opportunity to re-roll one of the dice to try and land, you know, where you'd prefer. Sure. Cool model, but not super sold on him. The teleport when you die is cool, but... I just think a lot of other things for 200 plus or minus points in this book are more worthwhile. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, no one loved this guy. Yeah, I've seen him a couple of times. <laughs> I'll do Gaunt Summoner of Zinch on disc, and then I'll do the one on foot, because they're basically the same. They are. So on disc, your movement 16, 4-up save, bravery 8, 6 wounds. You've got your change staff, 18-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, run 1, damage 1. Your warp tongue blade, 1-inch range, 2 attacks, 3s by 3s, run 2, damage D3. And the teeth and horns from your disc, 1-inch range, D3 attacks, 4s and 3s, run 1, damage 1. Mm-hmm. It can fly. It's two casts to unbind. You have the Book of Profane Secrets. You add one to casting, dispelling, and unbinding. In addition, it knows all of the spells in the lore of the damned, That's... which is the lore in this book. Yep. So it's important to take a Slaves to Darkness Gaunt Summoner on disc mm-hmm. as opposed to a Disciples of Zinch yes. Gaunt Summoner on disc, mm-hmm. which would be ally points and that's the whole thing. Lords of the Silver Tower... Once per battle, at the end of the phase, you can pick one enemy hero that's within nine inches of this unit, has made an attack that targeted this unit in that phase, or used an ability or spell that inflicted wounds or mortal wounds on this unit. 
in that phase, even if the wounds or mortal wounds were negated. If you do so, roll 2d6. If the roll is greater than the wounds characteristic of that hero, that hero is removed from play. Doesn't count as being slain, though. Silver Portal, after you've deployed this unit, when you would set up another friendly Zinch unit, that's gotta be Zinch, that is not a monster, you can say that it is in the Silver Tower. At the end of any of your movement phases, you can set up one or more of these units on the battlefield wholly within nine inches of this unit and more than nine from all enemy units. At the start of the fourth battle round, reserve units that are still in the Silver Tower are destroyed. Now, it doesn't sound that good, but until you realize he can move 16 inches. So he's very mobile. And so you could set something up where you could throw him forward, lay that other unit nine inches away. That's pretty good. The advice remains the same from the Zinch episode. Yes, of course. You know, toss some stuff in there. Yeah. Infernal Flames, casting Vow 7, range 12. Pick one enemy unit within range, visible to caster. Roll one dice for each model in that unit. For each five up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Mm -hmm. If it's a monster or war machine, roll five dice instead of one. Okay. The Gaunt Summoner on foot is the same, except it is five inches instead of 16-inch move, six up save instead of four up, five wounds instead of six, and it loses the teeth and horns attacks, which I know really tipped it over for most of you <laughs> so he's 240 points yeah so he's still a pretty decent investment but again if we're comparing him to eternus for example i don't think there's any comparison really for the points yeah it, you can get a lot more out of this when we talk about banners there's a fun combination i wanted to talk about with him in the silver portal so also a unit that does not have eye of the gods nope next one is a chaos lord on a demonic mount very cool 10-inch move, 8 wounds, 3-up save, 9 bravery. He has to choose either a lance or a warhammer. Mm-hmm. And if he chooses the lance, it's 2-inch, 4 attacks, 3x3s, minus 1-1. One, one, or the warhammer is 1-inch, 4 attacks, 3x3s, minus 1-2 damage. And the mighty hooves, they don't seem very mighty, but that's okay. 1-inch, 3 attacks, 4x3s, no rend, 1 damage. Has a ward of 5-up against mortal wounds. That's good. If the unit charges and it has a Chaos Lance, you improve the damage and rend characteristic of the Lance by one. So you're talking two rend, two damage. That's mm-hmm. good. And then first strike effect applies if this unit made a charge move in the same turn. In addition, if this unit made a charge move in the same turn after it has fought in the combat phase for the first time, you can pick one friendly Chaos Knight, Chariot, or Gorby's Chariot unit wholly within 12 and has not fought yet, that unit can't fight immediately. Throwing this thing in there with some Chaos Knights, that could be good, especially since you can give him a mark, you can give him other things in terms of enhancements. He could be a nice little addition to your Knights and he can keep up with them, which is really cool. All right, next. Chaos Lord on Manticore. Oh, I don't think you like this unit at all. No, terrible. <laughs> Why don't you do both of these then? Because they're both on mana core. Sure. It's the Chaos Lord, 12-inch move, 4-up save, bravery 9, 12 wounds. He has a very confusing choice of things that you can oh, take. Oh, man. So you pick one of the following weapon options, Demon Blade or Chaos Flail. It is also armed with one of the following. So you have a Demon Blade or Chaos Flail, and then also one of either a Chaos Lance, a Rune Shield, or a Dagger Fist. So choice number one, yes. the Blade versus Flail. The blade is one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend two damage, d3. Yeah, nice. The flail is two inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, no rend damage two. Mm-hmm. 
Then your next choice is the Chaos Lance, and then the Dagger Fist and the Rune Shield have abilities on the War Scroll. So the Lance is one inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage one. Take any of the other ones. <laughs> the mount itself <laughs> is Hone, Fangs, and Claws, two inch range, five attacks, threes by twos, rend one, damage two. The Shredding Tail, three inch range, four attacks, fours by fours, no rend, damage one. I need to understand something. Mm-hmm. How the Chaos Lord on a demonic mount has a Chaos Lance, mm-hmm. but it's two-inch range. This is a Chaos Lance that has a one-inch range. It's He's just, on the Manticore. It's, I know. It's, it's harder, harder to, to poke. Yeah, okay. That's my narrative that, that I've weird. created here. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. All right. Flies, if you give him a shield, he's a save of a three up instead of a four up, and you have a ward of a five up against mortals. Mm. That's really good. Yeah. Territorial Predator, you add one of the damage characteristics of attacks made with units hone, fangs, and claws that targets an enemy monster. So mm-hmm. you go up to damage three on those, which is nice. The Lance is the same. The Demon Blade, the unmodified hit roll of a six inflicts a mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. Fine, it's a three attack weapon, so whatever. The Dagger Fist, if the unmodified save roll for uh, attack made with a melee weapon that targets a model with the Dagger Fist is a six, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound after all of its attacks been resolved. Bounce back is never bad, really. Yeah, I'd say give me the shield, though. Mm-hmm. Yep. You go up to base three and get a five up against mortals. Sure. And then he's an Iron Willed Overlord. If this unit issues the redeploy command, you can re-roll that dice to determine the distance for that Slaves of Darkness unit. Okay. Cool. Chaos Sorcerer Lord, 12-inch move, 12 mm-hmm. wounds, 4-up save, Bravery 8s. One Chaos, one Unbind Wizard. His Reaping Staff, 2-inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage D3. His Manticore is the same. Territorial Predator is the same. Oracular Visions, it's going to be the same as the one on foot, but for the first time we're talking about it, you can pick one friendly mortal Slaves of Darkness unit. Mortal is important here. Holy within 12 inches of this model. If you do so, that unit has a ward of a 6 up until the start of your next hero phase. Mm-hmm. Not bad. And then his spell, I love his spell. Casting value of an 8 and a range of 18 inches. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. Roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in that unit. For each five, that unit suffers one mortal wound. For each six, that unit suffers two mortal wounds. It's awesome. Brutal. It's great. It's only five points less. It's only 265, so... Such a ridiculously good spell. Normally, you're looking at it casting value eight. That's real tough to do. You can sit there and say, well, that's fine. I will take the heroic action to roll 3d6 at this, and Mm -hmm. then it becomes a very reliable prospect. And with as many wounds as he has, it's worth taking the chance for that d6 mortals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If you're throwing that into something with a whole bunch of models. I really like this model. I kind of think if I'm going to get a Chaos Lord at any point, I would get it on a Cracker Jack like this. This is one of the most improved units in this book. The points cost of where it is, the way that it interacts with Eye of the Gods, the rules that come with it, and the fact that knights are useful. You are going to see a lot of Karkadrax. That's great. It is 9-inch move, 9 wounds, 3-up save, 9 bravery, and it is armed with everything here. You don't have to make a choice, which is very cool. They're all benefits of push to fit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) So yeah, it's all about the model. One inch range for all these things. The battle axe has four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. The blade has three attacks, three by threes, minus two, D3. And the fun cracker jack that he's riding on has four attacks, four by threes, minus one, two damage. So a little punchier than horses. It is demon bound. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a demon bound blade is six inflicts one mortal in addition so nice not just stop the attack sequence that's nice brutish rampage roll a die for each enemy unit that is within one inch it's 
impact hits. On a 2-up, yep. you get the 3 mortals. Rune Etched Plating. It has a 5-up ward against mortal wounds. Very nice. 3-up, 5-up mortals. And then Knights of Chaos. The first strike effect applies to this unit if it made a charge move in the same turn. In addition, same thing as we had with the Lord on the Mana Core, in that if there is another unit after this thing is fought for the first time, you can pick another friendly unit of knights, chariots, or gorbeast chariots that are wholly within 12, and it can fight right after. If you, again, keep this with that unit, coordinating those attacks can be really, really powerful, especially if you add marks and other things that we're going to discuss. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I like that as a choice. It's only 220 points. Yeah. Under-costed. Uh, he yeah. Is, he is really beefy. good. Chaos Lord on foot. Five-inch move. Three-up save. Bravery nine. Six wounds. You have him armed with a Reaper Blade and the Demon Bound Steel or a Demon Bound War Flail. So the Reaper Blade, two inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage one. And the Demon Bound Steel, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. Is the Reaper Blade one or two damage, Brendan? Two. It's two, okay. Yep. The War Flail, two inch range, six attacks, fours by threes, rend two, damage one. I think you're taking the first choice there. Yeah. You can give him a retinue at the start of the first battle round before determining who goes first. You can pick a unit of Chaos Warriors or Chaos Chosen on the battlefield to be this unit's retinue. Mm-hmm. His Demon Bound Steel and his War Flail both are sixes to hit, are one mortal wound in addition, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. The retinue, before you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this unit, or instead of making a ward roll, or for a wound or a mortal wound to be allocated to this unit, fits within three inches of this retinue. On a one or a two, that wound or mortal wound is allocated as normal. On a three up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to the unit's retinue instead. Bodyguard mechanic, love it. Mm-hmm. Glory in battle, after this unit is fought in the combat phase for the first time, if its retinue is not yet fought in that combat phase and is within three inches of an enemy unit and is wholly within 12 inches of this unit, this unit's retinue can fight immediately. Excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Chaos, Sorcerer Lord. Staple of the army. You just take one. Just plan on it, right? Five inch move, five wounds, four up save, eight bravery. It's one cast and one unbind. Has two profiles. Uh, the staff is two inches. Inch. One attack, four by threes, minus one D3. The room blade is one inch, two attacks, three by threes, no rend, one damage. Ocular visions. In your hero phase, you can pick one mortal slaves to darkness unit, mortal slaves to darkness unit, wholly within 12. If you do so, that unit has a ward of six up, okay? But the reason you take him <laughs> is his spell, which Goes off on a six, which is really good, and a range of 18. Pick one friendly mortals. Again, this only affects mortals, folks, not other things that you would really like it to affect. And if. Says the Ogroid player. Yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. They gotta be mortal. If it's within range of visible to the caster, add one to hit and wound rolls for melee attacks. Very nice. Plus one to hit and wound. That is never a bad thing. Poof. And on a six, man. So good. All right. The Exalted Hero of Chaos. Five-inch move, four-up save, bravery eight, six wounds. You have one of the choices, either the Rune Etch Blade and Rune Shield, or the Axes of the Dark Champion. The Rune Inch Blade is one-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. And the Axes of the Dark Champion, one-inch range, eight attacks, fours by fours, rend one, damage two. If you give him a shield, he goes to a three-up base with a five-up against mortals. Yes. And the Dark Blessings, after deployment... You can roll on the Eye of the Gods at the table for this unit. Fair. Glory Seeker, add one of the attacks characteristics of this unit's melee weapons while it is within three inches of any enemy heroes or enemy monsters. I mean, the reason I would take this 
Brennan is for 100 points to have a shot of having another demon prince on the board. Yeah, go ahead and roll the Eye of the Gods once at the start. Well, if you don't get it then, you might be able to roll again for some reason. You could conceivably <laughs> give him Undivided, roll this first, look for one of the mm-hmm. dice rolls. Yeah, you're right. It's a really cheeky way of trying to get a demon prince on the table. <laughs> the next one is the first Orgroid unit. It's the Myrmidon. He is 6-inch move, 8 wounds, 4-up save, 8 bravery. He has a gladiator spear. Sorry, a missile and a melee profile. Yeah, a missile and melee. He can throw it or he can poke it. 18 inches, one attack, three by threes, minus one D3 if he throws it. If he holds on to it, two inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. He has arcane fury. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a melee weapon by this unit is six, it scores two hits on the target instead of one, so exploding sixes. Nice. And then berserker rage, add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons if any wounds or mortal wounds were allocated to to it earlier in the same phase. I guess the thing that I'm disappointed about with this is there's absolutely zero interaction with the Theradons. I would think if you've got... That's not true. He makes a battle line. Okay, fair enough. But I'm talking about rules-wise. You would think he could do something for them. Yes. You know, like... Because most of these other heroes, most of them, are if this unit did this, another unit could do this. Or you could buff this unit this way with this unit. And so I guess since he is very specifically Ogroid, I was hoping for that to happen. But it's fine. I think a lot of us were. Yeah, and it is what it is. Am I ever going to take him for 130 points? No, I'm just not. The next unit, however, my friend, we're not going to talk about because we're still talking about heroes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So let's move over to, really, we're going all the way over to Warbands now, right? Well, first, the Dark Oath War Queen. Yep. This is going to be the first introduction of the cultist keyword of things that we've looked at. Mm -hmm. So the War Queen is six-inch move, four-up save, bravery eight, six wounds. She has her rune-etched axe, one-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, run one, damage two. Her rune shield is a ward of a five up. In addition, if you roll a ward of a six, you can pick one enemy within three inches and it suffers one mortal wound that cannot be negated. Uh, She's Archeon. I think that's the takeaway here. Yeah. yeah. She has an oath of supremacy. At the end of the movement phase, if this unit is wholly within enemy territory, it fulfills its oath. Once this unit fulfills its oath until the end of the battle, if this unit issues the inspiring presence command, up to two friendly dark oath or cultist units can receive that command. Okay. Not bad. Yeah, that's useful. Tribal War Leader. After this unit is fought in the combat phase for the first time, you can pick one friendly Dark Oath unit that is not yet fought in that combat phase, is within three inches of an enemy unit, as wholly within 12 inches of this unit, that unit can fight immediately. Perfect. One of the things, just listeners, before we start getting into the war bands, a lot of people aren't talking about these because there are a lot of them, and it is going to take some time, but we just think that it's worthwhile because now that all these war bands are battle-line, it's something that we really think you should consider taking. It's really an integral part of this army now. So we want to spend the time going over them. The beautiful thing about a recording like this is you can just go to any part of it you want, but we just think there's importance and value in going over these. So just wanted to mention that before we dive in. Appreciate how long this takes. Yeah. <laughs> Listen at your leisure. We have the Chieftain now. Six inch move, five wounds, five up save, eight bravery. Oh, he has two attacks, Cursed Broadsword, two-inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage, and a Warlord Axe, and he has both. A one-inch range, three attacks, three by threes, no rend, one damage. Death Blow, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack with a Cursed Broadsword is six. One Mortal Wound in addition to normal damage. Oath of Murder, the first time an enemy hero or monster is slain from wounds allocated from an attack made by this unit, if it fills its oath, once this oath 
oath is fulfilled until the end of that battle, the first strike effect applies to this unit. Okay, hers is a lot easier to get, <laughs> I yeah. think. And then tribal war leader is the same as it is for the war crane. If you have already fought in the combat phase, pick another dark oath unit, it can fight immediately after. Coolio, they're 195 points respectively. Not much for hero. Last up is the Centurion Marshal. Mm-hmm. Eight inch range, four attacks, bravery eight, 10 wounds, keyword locked on undivided. So he's 145 points and he's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. The Mauling Spear, two inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, run one, damage two. The Skull Bludgeon and Varen Spire Gladius, one inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, no run, damage one. Skewer Dragon Bludgeon. So you attack with the Mauling Spear first, and you add one to the attack's characteristics if it's Skull, Bludgeon, and Gladius for each successful hit scored by attacks made with its Mauling Spear. Okay. That's really good. You're sitting there, you can be potentially 10 attacks with the Bludgeon and Varen Spire Gladius. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, the net, at the start of each combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a dice. On a six up, the strike last effect applies this unit. Its ability has no effect on enemy units that are monsters or are more than five models. Fine. Makes sense. You shouldn't be able to net a unit of 60 <laughs> goblins. I mean, even goblins need like 10 netters, you know, and <laughs> they're big. They have more nets than you. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then he is Marshal of the Legions. If this unit uses the Rally Command and an Undivided Mortal unit receives it, you can return one slain model to the unit that receives the command for each five up instead of six. Nice. This is really useful in the non-host of the Ever-Chosen Legion, because you're basically doing that, or in relationship to all of these cultists we're going to talk about. Yep. And, I don't know, and there is a an specific le- <laughs> Legion that is just focused really on cultists. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. So that's the heroes. Those are the heroes. Yeah. So let's talk about the things that make the heroes better. Yep. And there are a lot of them. All right, man, what are we going to start with? We're going to start with command traits. Command traits, as per usual. Now, I want to ask you a question, because we have two tables here, Brendan. Mm-hmm. We have Slaves of Darkness Heroes and Slaves of Darkness Demon Prince. Now, the Demon Prince is a hero and a Demon Prince. Can he pick from either or both tables, depending on? Both. Okay, you can, can pick, pick from, from both. both. Nice, okay, that's great. Yeah. Just want to clarify that. What are you looking at here? The Slaves of Darkness Hero only table Idolater Lord, Mm. the general becomes a priest. In addition, Mm -hmm. you can choose to replace the undivided keyword on every undivided cultist unit in your army with one of the following keywords. Korn, Zinj, Nurgle, or Slanesh. All cultist units must be given the same keyword, and it must be the one this general has too. Mm -hmm. That is really Really good. good. It's so much flexibility, man. And that would be my choice for this one, absolutely. Okay. Yep, I really think that's the best of... The ones we have here. The other one that's quite good is the Arch Sorcerer. The general knows all the spells from the Lore of the Damned in addition to the other spells it knows. Okay. Demon Prince Dan, which one are you taking? I don't know. I think it depends. I kind of like Diabolic Majesty. Okay. Because it is undivided only, but if you're leaning into undivided, I like this. Why do I like this? Because it's once per battle? I don't know. Uh, Because I usually don't like those. But when you carry out a heroic action with this general, you can carry out any one of the heroic actions on his war scroll, even if it does not have the required keywords. That is one I would put on the Demon Prince for Undivided, because normally you have its keyword locked for those heroic actions. Mm-hmm. That gives you a lot more flexibility on your Demon Prince, which is why I really like that. So I like all of them. I have mm-hmm. two that I especially like. Okay. First of which is Radiance of Dark Glory. At the start of your hero phase, you roll a dice for each friendly model within nine inches of this general that has any wounds allocated to it. 
on a 3-up, you can heal one wound from that model being rolled for. If the model being rolled for is a monster on a 3-up, you can heal up to three wounds instead. Sure. Neat. The other one is not to be denied. In each hero phase, once you've carried out a heroic action, if you did not carry out the heroic action with this general, you can carry out an additional heroic action with this general. The heroic action carried out with this general cannot be the same as the other heroic action carried out in this phase. I really like that. It means that you can, in your turn, do Draw on Power or Pledge of the Dark Gods and not have to forego the heroic action that's on your Demon Prince or heal them or whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're going to do with, sure. with that Demon Prince. Again, it keeps you from being locked in for that. Yep. Yep. And that's always nice since it is locked. Artifacts. Yeah. We Man. got some real good artifacts okay. in this book. This one is for Slaves to Darkness Heroes. Man, oh man. There is one here to me that is just nuts, mm-hmm. and that's the Conqueror's Crown. That one's real good. Enemy models with a wounds characteristic of one or two that are within six inches of the bear cannot contest objectives. That is just crazy, man. And this is why I was thinking that would be a cool one to put on uh, Demon Prince and just have him sit there and go, yeah, Hmm. hey, boys, he got you 30 zombies, whatever it is, or 30 goblins. I don't really care if they count as three apiece because they count as nothing to me. (laughs) You are nothing to me. (laughs) It's just cool. It's turning that off. Even if it's after, you know, in the new General's Handbook and things aren't worth three apiece, that's still incredibly useful. Now, I would think if you're going to do something like that, you'd have to support him somehow because usually units you're going to use that against are going to have a lot of models. I just think that's far and above for me out of the Trophies of Conquest, the best one. What are you thinking? The other one I like is Helm of the Oppressor. Mm-hmm. Enemy units cannot receive the Inspiring Presence and Rally Commands while they are within six inches of the bearer. That's another we great We saw one. with Night Haunt how important it is to be able to turn off Inspiring Presence just <sighs> as an army. The Rally bit is nice because it means that even if you are backed out of combat, if you're tagged at six, you still can't rally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, we're going to Chaos Esoterica, which mm-hmm. is for wizard heroes. What are you picking on this one? I like these a little bit less than the Trophies of Conquest, but the Helm of Eldritch Command is pretty cool. When the bear attempts to dispel an endless spell, if the dispel roll is greater than the casting value of the endless spell, instead of it being dispelled, you can say that the bear has seized control of it. If you do so, the bear now controls that endless spell in the same manner as if they had summoned it, and the model that summoned the endless spell does not control it. If that endless spell is later dispelled and summoned again, the bear does not control it. Yeah. I didn't pick that one only because it has to be greater than the dispelling roll. And some of the things that are seven or eight, it's going to be a little tougher to get that done, depending on the wizard you have. Yeah. I picked Chaos Familiar even again. Like, Dan, you're picking all these once per battle ones. Out of these three, it's the one I like the best. At the start of your hero phase, you can say that the bear will call upon their Chaos Familiar. If you do so, the bear can attempt to cast one additional spell in that hero phase, and it can be any spell from the Lore of the Damned. I'm thinking of something like a Chaos Sorcerer Lord who essentially you're going to be casting his spell because it's so good. Now you can consider doing something else with him than casting Demonic Power. It gives you a little flexibility with him. All right, we're up to the Demon Prince artifacts. What are you thinking here? The Helm of Many Eyes. Strike first, effect, effect applies to the bearer. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, really like that on a corn one. Really like that on a corn one who is using the heroic action to heal as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, perfect. Yep, I'm with you there. Okay. I think that's the choice. Spells. Spells. There are three spells here that I like. Okay. There are two spells here that I don't have any interest in. Fair enough. But the first one that I have an interest in is Chaotic Conduit. And I didn't think about that one at first as I read for the book early, but then the more I read through it, I'm going, oh no, this has a lot of value. (laughs) 
chaotic conduit suspelli has a casting value of seven and a range of 12. If it is cast, pick one friendly Eye of the Gods unit within range that is visible to the caster. You can immediately roll on the Eye of the Gods table for that unit. Oh man, Brendan, that means multiple times during the game. If this is, let's say it's a two caster, Mm -hmm. you can just plan on, if it's an Eye of the Gods unit, just using it to continually allow a unit to, or units, to roll additional times on that table. Not just under the conditions of the rule. So it's not just when you do monsters or heroes, and not just when you're contesting objectives. It's any time. That's really, really powerful because as you said, a lot of those benefits are stackable. Yep. Unit of Knights, Unit of Chosen. Oh, they already got something from the table? Wait a minute. Boom. I'm going to throw it on them. That's really good. Okay. What do you got? Demonic Speed. Ah, Casting value of a 6. Sweet. Range of 12. Pick one friendly Slaves of Darkness that has a mount and is wholly within range, invisible to caster. Until the start of your next hero phase, you can attempt a charge move with this unit if it's within 18 inches of the enemy unit instead of 12. In addition, roll 3d6 instead of 2d6 for charge rolls made for that unit until the start of your next hero phase. I can't think of any units I might want to use this on. Yeah, none. <laughs> none. The last real good one is Binding Damnation. Yes. Casting value of 7, range of 12. Mm-hmm. This successfully cast. Pick one enemy unit within range, invisible the caster. Until your next hero phase, the strike last effect applies to that unit. So good. Very so useful. Good. Yep. So those are the three out of the five I think we've agreed on. Now we're going to talk about unique enhancements. Ooh, banners. banners. Yeah, maybe now There are six banners, even though there are only five marks. There's a generic one and then yes. one for each mark. Yeah, so the generic one is the blasphemous icon. Minus one to chanting rolls for priests without the chaos keyword. That's anywhere on the board, Brendan. Mm-hmm. So you take that banner. Now, you have to know what you're playing against because... Obviously, if it's an army that doesn't have any priests, it's not going to be very useful. Nonetheless, that's pretty powerful Yeah, for just standing there. So the way that this enhancement works specifically, uh, because this is unlike any other enhancement that's been seen before. Yes. The only other unique enhancement that we've seen before is in the Stormcast book mm-hmm. with Holy Commands. Those are a once-per-battle command abilities that you can use. This is an enhancement for your units. Yes, which is really cool. So anytime you take an ensorcelled banner, you can pick one in standard bearer from a unit of chaos chosen, chaos warriors, or chaos knights in your army, and you give them an ensorcelled banner. You do have to pick out which model specifically mm-hmm. has the ensorcelled banner, so this yes. is a cool hobby opportunity as well. Yes. If a rule allows you to take an extra enhancement, I don't know, like a sub-faction or something... <laughs> You cannot take the same ensorcelled banner, and you cannot give an ensorcelled banner to a unit that already has one, so you can't sure. double up. Right. Thankfully, there wouldn't be a lot of opportunities to double up anyways, but can't have the same banner twice, and the unit can't have multiple banners. So, chosen warriors are knights. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't mind that restriction at all. So why don't you talk about one of these... Yep. The Banner of Rage, corn unit only, add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by this unit. Boom, just flat out, all the time, plus one to wound. (laughs) Yeah, hello. Dread Banner is another one, it's for undivided. Each time a unit rolls in the Eye of the Gods table, roll two dice and pick the one which you want to use. Because we talked about units, right? This one... They're 1d6 plus two. Hello. Um, You're really fishing for fives and sixes on that Mm -hmm. dice roll. Get your ward roll, get your extra rend, but once you get your ward roll, you're really fishing for sixes. Sure. The eroding icon, Nurgle unit only, worsen the rend characteristics of melee weapons used by enemy units by one while they're wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Now, this is the one you kind of reacted to when I talked about the Nurgle mark. Putting this on warriors, having a banner 
with minus one to Ren on them and minus one to wound on them. Good luck. Oh, yeah. Take 20 of them off. That's only 40 wounds with a three up save. That's assuming I'm not going to use a command point or cast Mystic Shield on them, right? Yeah. Good luck oh. moving them. Oh. Good luck. So good. So good. Now, I want to talk about the Blasted Standard because I think this ha- it's a very niche use that I had thought of. You take this thing, which the Blasted Standard gives you a four-up ward against missile weapons. That's mortals or anything that they do. Four-up ward. So now you take a unit and you throw it over there close to them and you charge them and you're like, I don't care about your Unleash Hell. I really don't care. It's really cool that you could go hunting shooting units like that with some kind of a combination of things. Mm -hmm. Again, I think in the meta where we have a lot of shooting units, this might be fun as a, you know, we talked about the fact that you can give these things to individual units. Put them on a hunting spree and have them go after stuff uh, because you're just going to sit there and go, yeah, shoot me all day. Half of your wounds aren't going to matter. Right. It makes the target unpalatable. Yes. Which means that you're going to allocate your shooting in a place where maybe you really don't want to mm-hmm. because the thing that you really do want to shoot, you're going to be very inefficient against. Yeah. And you have some means at least, you know, most people are going to be very effective at screening their shooting units, but you still have some means to get to them and then be able to do something when you're there and not just get shot off the board when you're charging. So I think that's really good. The last one we have is the Banner of Screaming Flesh. This is the Slanesh banner. Add one to attack characteristics if this unit made a charge move. Yeah? <laughs> Fine. I'll take that. Here's a question. Could you, well, you can't because it's not marked the same. I was saying you can't take corn and you can't take a Slanesh banner and a corn mark. You can't do that. No. No. So you can't get plus two attack that way. There's other ways to get plus two to your attack characteristic, but that's not it's it. It's called the allies. Yes. <laughs> Yes, for sure. But again, very good. And I can't imagine who you would put that on, but you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, the banners are such a great, great addition. And again, there's so many combinations of what you can do with this. But you could take, for example, a banner of rage and a corn mark. You could get plus one to your attack characteristic and plus one to wound. Yep. Woof. Man, so good. So, so good. Really solid. Ooh, man. All right. So let's talk legions. Let's talk legions. Six of them. Host of the Ever Chosen, Legion of Darkness. When a host of the Ever Chosen unit that is a Chaos Chosen, Knights, or Warriors unit receives the Rally Command, you can return one slain model for each five up instead of six. In addition, you can pick one additional Ensorcelled Banner enhancement for your army. Just a quick inner thing before you go over it. This is a FAQ change. Brendan has read it the way the rule should be read. When you look at a book, it's going to include Varengard, and it's going to say it's a four up. That is not. The Varengard gets crossed off, and the four up is a five up so yeah. <laughs> yeah when i first saw i read that i'm going yeah hello host of the ever chosen yeah no brainer day. like <laughs> when Holy you're mutt. when you're rallying varengard better than the varengard legion <laughs> you think it was hard to move my 20 warriors then now i'm bringing them back on a four up <laughs> no. they're still going to be tough to bring back on oh. five or, oh know, yeah knock them down on fives but yeah so that's real cool you get the extra banner. You get rally on fives Very for nice. you know for the core of you know your warriors of chaos stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. Why don't you talk about first prince and I'll talk about the next couple. Cool. Legion of the first prince. At the start of your hero phase, you can pick one legion of the first prince undivided unit. 
and then give one of the following marks of chaos keywords, corn, zinch, nurgor, slanesh. That unit has that mark until the start of your next hero phase. Uh, in addition to the undivided mark of chaos so this is kind of cool you can give that to bellacor and you can give that to eternus as well as you know sure any, even the first prince undivided units you know, really looking for moments of flexibility mm-hmm. that's pretty cool yeah if you picked a wizard to have the zinch mark it knows the warp reality spell until the start of your next hero phase that's super cool mm-hmm. and then infernal servants allied blood letters horrors of zinch plague bearers and demonettes benefit from the marks of chaos battle traits as if they had the slaves of darkness keyword mm. that is great plague bearers that are minus one to wound <laughs> blood letters that are plus one attack <laughs> hello yeah seems real good yep so the next two are really focused on specific unit types. They have Kabbalists, and the first rule for them is their heroes become wizards, so all of the heroes in that army are wizards now. If the hero already has a wizard keyword, they can attempt to cast an additional spell, and they know one additional spell from Lore of the Dam, so they can carry two spells from Lore of the Dam. Very good. In addition, if you carry out Drawn Power, we talked about this one, heroic action with the Kabbalist hero, you can immediately carry out the same heroic action with each other Kabbalist hero within three inches of the first. Wow, man. Again, you have to be leaning into wizards. There's no question about that, or at least lean into magic if that's going to be your thing. But if you do, this can really ramp that up quite a bit, Brendan. Yeah. Especially if you're taking four or five heroes. That, oh, wow. That could be crazy. All right. Despoilers is really focused on monsters and the demon prince. So what you do is you add two to the wounds characteristic of friendly monsters and your army. In addition, each despoiler demon prince can be given a command trait in addition to your general, which can be used as if it were a general. Each command trait must be different. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. If again, you're going to lean into monsters, we'll talk about some of those and you want to pump up that demon prince, this might be an option for you. It sounds more like both the Kabbalists and the despoilers are more if you want to theme your army rather than if you want it to be really competitive. I think those are certainly fun choices. Uh, What about this next one is just so good. (laughs) Yeah, Ravagers can carry out the following heroic action with a Ravagers hero instead of any other heroic action you can carry out with this hero. This is quite a bit different than what it used to be. Yeah. You pick one Chaos Marauders, Chaos Marauder Horseman, Cultist, or Dark Oath unit in your army that has been destroyed. If you do so, a new replacement unit with half the number of models (laughs) in that unit that was destroyed rounding up. Add to your army, set it up wholly within 12 inches of that hero carrying out this heroic action, and more than 9 from all enemy units. does mean that you can move. Each destroyed unit can only be replaced once. Replacement units cannot themselves be replaced. This is like the Slaves of the Darkness version of Gorslav. Mm-hmm. The bummer is that it's Marauders are junk now. Yes. Marauder yes. horsemen aren't very good. Yeah. Um, so you're really using this for cultists. Yes, units. which we're going to talk about, and it will make sense for them. Again, this is where you're leaning into that, and you're building around cultists, most likely, um, or dark oath units. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one is Knights of the Empty Throne. So the first rule here is Knights of the Empty Throne units that have a mount can run and still charge. That's really good. You don't have to take Slanesh. Yes. It's a whole <laughs> sub-faction that makes a mark. Yeah. Just a free rule. If you're cav heavy, go for it, man. Now you can for plus one to run right. charge, but yes, the, yeah, you don't need to. But you don't need to spend that command ability. Yep. And then the other rule is dread lieutenant. When you pick the general for your army, if Arcan is not included in the army, you can pick a model that is in a very friendly vanguard unit to be your general. If you do so, that unit gains the leader battlefield role. In addition, if that general issues the rally command and a friendly vanguard unit receives it, you can return one slain model to the unit on a 
five up instead of a six. There's a note here though, this general cannot be given a command trait because it is not a hero. You also so you can't give it artifacts. Well, you're giving but, up command traits wholesale mm, if you do this, but right. artifacts can be taken by other heroes, but you cannot give this unit traits and artifacts. That's a bit of a bummer, because one of the really fun things of what Knights of the Empty Throne was, was the unit of Hero Varengard, which yes, led to some complicated issues from time to time. But that run and charge on the mounts is insane. Yep, and it's just army-wide. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. All so right, we'll man. take a break here. Yep. We'll come we... back talking about units. All right, we'll be right back. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Units mm-hmm. in the Slaves of Darkness battle tome. Brendan started us off with your buddies. Yeah, Varengard. So they are 10-inch move, 3-up save, bravery 9, 5 wounds. Their battle line and host the ever-chosen and Knights of the Empty Throne. The rare leader battle line profile in <laughs> Knights of the Empty Throne, potentially, if you make sure. one a general. Yep. They have one of three weapons to pick from. The Ensorcelled Weapons, the Fell Spear, and the Demon Forge Blade. The Ensorcelled Weapons are 1-inch range, 5 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 2. Mm-hmm. Fell Spear is 2-inch range, 3 attacks. 3s by 3s, Ren 2, damage 2. Demon Forge Blade, 1 inch range, 3 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren 2, damage D3. And then the Murder Ponies, 1 inch range, 3 attacks, 4s by 3s, Ren 1, damage 1. They are elite. The Demon Forge Blade, 6s to hit, are a mortal wound in addition. The Fell Spears have, you add 1 to wound rolls for attacks made with this unit's Fell Spears, and you increase the Ren by 1 if you made a charge move. Pretty good. Bring it up to Ren 3, and so that would be 3 attacks at 3s by 2s, Ren 3, damage 2. Mm-hmm. Not a bad option Not there. Not insignificant, no. Relentless Killers, once per battle in the combat phase, after it's fought in that phase for the first time, you can say that it will fight again. Just means that when you go to pick it, you can pick it for a second time, as long as it's within three inches of any enemy units. Sure. And then Warp Steel Shields, woo, <laughs> four up ward against mortal wounds. Okay. That's a significant improvement on what their shields did before. Very happy with the changes. So you're happy with those. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was going to ask you about Absolutely. that. All right, good. Excellent. So now we come to my favorite unit in the book. Yes. Which is the Ogroid Theradons. They are units of three. It's 190 for three of them. They're six inch move, five wounds, five up save, six bravery. The champion gets one extra attack, and they have two choices for weapons. They can either take a Falchion or a Great Axe. The Falchion and the Great Axe are both two inch range, both three attacks, both three by three. The Falchion is minus one rend, two damage. The Axe is minus two rend, three damage. The Standard Bear can add one to the bravery, which is really good because they only have bravery six and they're five wound models you don't want them running and the musician allows them to add one to charge rolls very cool the shield if you take it uh, with the falchion because you can't take it with the great axe gives you a four up instead of a five up save berserk rage add one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by this unit if any wounds or mortal wounds were allocated to it earlier in the same phase good then unleash savagery once per battle when this unit is picked to fight you can say that it will unleash your savagery if you do so, add one to attack characteristic of this unit's melee weapons until the end of that phase. However, it cannot receive inspiring presence. In the same turn, they have unleashed their savagery. Brendan, I guess it depends on how you want to mark this thing, but you can pretty easily... Now, I'm always going to take a great axe. I'm just saying. Because mm-hmm. these guys, you just want them going in and just dumping damage. And at three apiece, you're only at three by threes, which is very good because you can easily improve that to two by threes. You can, if you choose in that turn, make this two by twos. If you take a unit of six, which is really not that much for 30 wounds, it's uh, 380 points. You could take 
the mark of corn on these guys, which gives it four attacks apiece. If you were to take, you mentioned allies earlier, if you were to take a blood secretor and for 125 points and you add another attack, these guys are rocking five attacks apiece. Off the charge. Off the charge. Dude, 30 attacks at two by twos, because it could easily be that. Yep. Minus two rend, three damage. Dan, you can get them easily to six attacks apiece. Okay, by unleashing your savagery. Yep. Being marked corn. Yep. And having your blood secretor. Yep. So now we're 36 attacks, Brendan. Now, that's just unbelievable. And when you're at minus two rend, two by two, probably about 24, 25 where those are getting through at minus two rend. Okay, I can kill a giant with that. I have a really good chance of killing a giant when I charge him. Now, when the giant swings back, if it doesn't die or somebody else swings back, are they going to kill my six guys? Yeah, but you know what? I just took out a 500-point model with 380 points worth of guys. Well, when you stack in the, the blood secretor, right? it breaks about even. But man, they just can be insane in terms of their damage output. If you load them up right, mm-hmm. and obviously you would use screens on these guys, use the speed bump, bump against the screen and then have them charge in. You have to be very careful how you use these guys, but their potential is just insane. The tough part with getting the plus one to wound component of this is you have to have been damaged first. Right. Unless you're throwing them into something that's not going to be able to punch back very hard. You have to have a way to do mortal wounds to yourself in the combat phase. A little tough. (laughs) All right. Yeah, they're a cool unit. You know, it's not your whole army. They are a missile, is what they are. In a lot of cases, they're going to be like a suicide missile because they're going to go in and just unleash untold amounts of damage and then probably die. Mm-hmm. But maybe not. War Shrine. Yeah, let's talk about that. Now, I kind of broke this one down by marks because we've got prayers involved here. And when we get to those prayers, we'll kind of try to simplify that for people as well. So why don't you talk about this thing overall? What are you getting? Yep, so not a monster, but has a damage table. Movement eight down to five, four up save, bravery eight, 14 wounds. Mm-hmm. Sacrificial blade, one inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage two. Flailing fists, six down to three, four attacks, fours to hit, threes to wound, no ren, damage two. Mm-hmm. And then the aura for protection of the dark gods is 18 down to nine. Friendly mortal slaves of darkness units wholly within that range have a ward of a six up. So that's pretty good. So then he's got five prayers. Yes. They are based on what mark you have. They must be issued to a unit with the same mark. Yes. All of them have an answer value of a three. All of them have a range of 18 inches. And all of them are pick a friendly unit wholly within range and visible. The undivided one, until the start of your next hero phase, you have the number of models that flee from a failed battle shock test, rounding down. Okay. The corn one, you add one to charge rolls for that unit until the start of your next hero phase. The zinch one, you subtract one from wound rolls for attacks that target that unit until the start of your next hero phase. Mm Mm-hmm. The Nurgle one, you had one to wound rolls for attacks (laughs) made by that unit with melee weapons until the start of your next hero phase. And the Sinesh one is 3d6 charge, can charge from 18 inches away. Yeah, all very nice, all very useful. It is a totem, it is a priest. Mm -hmm. Okay, 185 points. That's not too bad. That's just a little more than some heroes. Yeah. You're getting a 14 wound priest is what you're kind of getting here. Not bad. And the model is just insane. Just nuts. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you have a do you have a war shrine? I do have a war shrine. Have you painted it? Is it painted oh, yeah. ready to roll? Yeah. Oh, I needed it for my Knights of the Empty Throne oh, nonsense. Oh, sure. Okay. 
Oh, yeah. Man, I would think that will be cool to get, but man, just painting it, I look at it and go, whoa. It was a lot. That's just, whoa. That, a that was a lot stuffs. of sub assemblies. A lot of stuffs. And the next two are the chariots. Mm-hmm. These are really interesting. These have some fun rules and some fun potential. And I do have a question on the Gorbeast chariot for you. We okay. talk about these. The regular chariot is 12-inch move, 7 wounds, 4 up save, 6 bravery. It has choices again. And you get to pick from one of the following a great blade, a lashing whip, or you could take a lashing whip and a war flail. So that's it. So you get a lashing whip either way, but you pick between the great blade and the war flail. All these have a two-inch range. The whip has two attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. The great blade, three attacks, four by threes, minus one, two damage. And then the war flail has six attacks, three by threes, no rend, one damage. And of course you have horses, so one inch, four attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. The champion, if this unit has two or more models, one of the models can be an exalted charioteer, add one to the attacks characteristic, okay? Don't spare the lash. Once per battle, this unit can run and still charge. And then swift death. After this unit makes a charge move, pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a number of dice equal to the charge roll for that unit. For each five up, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. That has some potential there, especially if you're giving them something to make them charge 3d6 that could be something not yeah, bad and there's plentiful access to giving things 3d6 charge there's at least one spell there's at least one prayer mm-hmm. to be able to do that and they're 100 points a piece for those thingies if you're marked slanesh you're already at plus one in that yep. you go knight to the empty throne to be able to run and charge and not have to spend the don't spare the lash you can mm-hmm. just do that whole game absolutely and then the gorby's chariot yep so the gorby's chariot very similar nine inch move eight wounds instead the whip the great blade and the flail are the same the crushing fists are different that's one inch range three attacks threes by threes no rend damage two Mm -hmm. champion works the same they have unstoppable momentum though at the end of your combat phase if this unit made a charge move this turn it can make a normal move and can do so even if it was within three inches of any enemy units. If it does so, it can pass across other models with a wounds characteristic of four or less in the same manner as a model that can fly. In addition, after each such move, you can pick one enemy unit passed across and roll a dice for each model in this unit. For each three up, that enemy unit suffers D6 mortal wounds. You can basically make a nine-inch move right mm-hmm. afterwards yep and if you charged right if you charged yep. but if you have three of these things in a unit you could do that three times against the same unit right yeah but still it'd be 3d6 <laughs> on a three up for each three through each three up it's a right. d6 yes so it'd be 3d6 mortals possibly mm-hmm. that seems pretty good yeah that's good i would much rather take three units of one gorby's chariot because if you present your opponent the easy choice of attacking one unit of three, all of your damage goes towards that unit. Mm -hmm. If you present the difficult choice of three units of one, your opponent has to then have units that, models that aren't able to attack each unit. They have to Mm -hmm. split attacks. Mm -hmm. The likelihood that they kill all three is very low. Mm -hmm. Even if they have the potential to get all of them. Because they have to pick a target. Correct. Okay. Makes perfect sense. Do you like either one of these with these rules Mm -hmm. more than the other? I really like both of them. The Chaos Chariot is quite good, especially if you can give them reliably the 3d6 charge. Okay. You're basically slightly worse monster trucks for way fewer points. The Gorby's Chariots, if you know that you're going to be going into environments in which most of the units you're going to come across are wounds four or less, Mm -hmm. Gorby's Chariots are 
real, real good. Yeah, sure. So our next units, then, oh. Dan, are Chaos Chosen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I love these guys. It's, this is another one. It ranks up there with uh, Therodons for me in terms of damage potential. They are too expensive in my mind, mm-hmm. but... What you get for them, they're pretty good. You get five models for 240 points. Mm-hmm. That's what you're getting here. A little steep for me. A little pricey, okay. Five-inch move, three wounds, three up save, eight bravery. They have one melee attack profile, which is a soul splitter, two-inch range, three attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. The champion adds one to the attacks, the standard bearer adds one to the bravery, and the musician adds one to the charge rolls. Heralds of Ruination once per battle in the combat phase after this unit has fought for the first time in that phase, he can say that it will unleash ruin. If you do so, unit can fight for a second time, but when it does, the strike last effect applies. Then we have Soul Splitter. If the unmodified hit roll for their melee weapon is a six, inflicts one mortal in addition to anything else. That's really good. Rewards of Chaos. If this unit is part of a Chaos a Slaves to Darkness army, after deployment, you can roll once on the Eye of the Gods table for free. Hooray. Not bad. No. We talked about that. Not bad at all. This is another unit, Brendan, that I know it's kind of expensive, but holy mutt, man. And I know 10 of them would be really expensive, but man, if you could, you give them a corn mark again, and all of a sudden, that's like, man, that's what, 40 attacks for 10 of them. That's 40 attacks, right? Because they're two-inch range, yep. so even with their bigger bases, forties, you're yep. good, right? Mm-hmm. You get 10 of them in if, again, you put a blood secretor with them. Now, that gets really expensive. That's a 30-year army. But nonetheless, even just with 40 attacks, good God, man, that's really, really good. It is, um, yeah. Plus, on average, six or seven of those are going to be mortals. Mm-hmm. So... Pretty punchy, but expensive, as you said, for 15 wounds. If you can land the extra rend with them. Oh, you, yeah. And then this is a unit that's really hunting for that ward Mm -hmm. real early. Because the tough trade part is it's giving them a mark, Mm -hmm. right? Or going undivided and getting Eye of the Gods as Mm -hmm. part of their keywords. Because otherwise, your only role is your first roll. Right, that's true. Yep, yep. Next up, Chaos Spawn. Funnily enough, you can undivided mark them. They are mortals. You can turn a Chaos Spawn into a Demon Prince, technically. <laughs> no, you can't. They're not a hero. No, no, um, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that um, was exciting to think about there, I was right? like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you can't eye the gods them. They can pick up extra rem. They can pick up ward sure, saves. They, sure. they can heal. I don't know that you'd necessarily want to, but, you know, whatever. 2d6 move, 5 up save, bravery 10, 5 wounds, freakish mutations, 1 inch range, 2d6 attacks, 4s by 4s, no rem damage, 1. Their tentacles, if you roll a double, you add 1 to hit and roll, wound rolls, and then drawn to power while it's within nine inches of any friendly demon prince that share the keyword that they have. You can reroll one of the dice when determining its move characteristics, and each time it fights, you can reroll one of the dice for That's its attacks characteristics. Pretty good. Yeah, it's fine. If for 70 points, this isn't bad. It's whatever. Yeah, fun and random. <laughs> <laughs> For both you and your opponent, right? Yeah. <laughs> you it, never know what you're going to get. It's not the worst thing in the world. Am I spending any time or energy on this? No. No, of course not. But you're going to have one sitting aside just in case you roll mm-hmm. it double one. You never know. All right. Very regrettably, yes. <laughs> the next one is Chaos Warriors. Chaos Warriors are five-inch move, two wounds, three up save, seven bravery. They have two 
choices. You either take a murderous weapon or a halberd. The murderous weapon has one inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus one, one. And then the halberd is two inch range, two attacks, four by threes, minus one and one. Champion adds one attack. The bearer adds one bravery. The musician adds one to charge. Bringers of desolation add one to the attacks characteristic of this unit's melee weapon while it's wholly within enemy territory or wholly within 12 inches of an objective you do not control. Love this. Ooh. Great rule. This is where, you know, we talked about how unmovable they can become. And if you do this right, man, oh man. And last thing is, if you take a rune shield, right? Which you have to take. Yep, you have to take. You get a five-up ward against mortal wounds. So not only are they a three-up, say, with a five-up mortal wounds ward, you could do other stuff to make them a lot tougher to kill. And it's only 210 points for... 220. Oh, 220? Okay. For... Is it five of them? It's ten of them. It's ten. Man, 20 wounds for 220? Yep. Oh, yeah. Hello. 20 wounds with a three-up save. <sighs> we had a five-up five up against mortal. mortals. Okay. Super solid. Chaos Knights up there oh, in the most yes. improved category. Yes. 10-inch <laughs> move, three-up save, bravery seven, three wounds. You can give them a Chaos Lance. Your champion can have a flail. I'd recommend giving him the lance as well. The lances are two inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage one. Flail, one inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, no rend, damage one. Ensorcelled Warhammer, one inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage two. Trampling Hooves, one inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no rend, damage one. The champion, you can either add one to the lance or you can give him a flail or a Warhammer. Keep him the lance. Standard bearer adds one to bravery. The musician changes your charge roll, your lowest dice roll, to a four, if you'd like. Yeah, okay, sure. So your minimum charge distance is a five. Yes. That's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Riders of Doom, when a model in this unit makes an attack with a cursed lance, instead of using the range characteristic for that attack, you can target enemy units that are within a half inch of another model from this unit that is itself within half inch of the attacking model. Question, though. Let's go back to musicians. Sure. I can change one of those rolls to a four even if I'm rolling three dice. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Correct. So if I roll that stinky one somewhere in those three, yep. I can change that to a four. Okay. Any one dice you can okay. change to a four. Cool. All right. This is the Bonds of Friendship okay. yeah. ability from the General's Handbook right. where it lets you fight in two ranks with mm-hmm. your non-mounted stuff that yeah. have a, you know your Galatian veterans. Oof. It lets you do this with Chaos Knights. It makes taking unit of, say, 15 of them something that's not unreasonable. Mm-hmm. The Impaling Charge, you add one to the damage characteristics and increase the rend by one if you made a charge move in the same turn. So you'd mm-hmm. be up to rend two damage two. And your and Rune Shield is a five up against mortals. You got a Rune Shield. Knights are great. Knights are really, really good. I use to great effect Chaos Knights with the Mark of Corn and mm-hmm. the plus one to wound banner. You would then spend all out attack to be threes and twos. Mm-hmm. Ren two, damage two. Or you can use the spell that the uh, Chaos Sorcerer Lord has to be plus one to hit, plus one to wound. And you can right. spend your points all out defense. Sure. You can put that banner somewhere else then if you'd like. I happen to also put them in Bounty Hunters for that particular <laughs> game I use them in, bring them up to damage three off the charge. Sure. You know, you could leave them undivided. And you, know, you won't see the attacks increase, but you can go fishing on the Eye of the Gods table for uh, mm. extra rend, the ability to heal, the mm-hmm. host of the Everchosen giving you the ability to rally better than where you were. Mm-hmm. Knights are real, 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 real good. And coming in at 230 points, you say, well, that's that's a little spendy. For five of them, yeah. 
It's still 15 wounds. It's 15 wounds with a 5-up mortal. They're good. They're tough to move. Oh, and pairing it with something like a Karkadrak who... Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah, who can charge in and then have them fight. And, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems good. <laughs> so now we're kind of... We're going to bounce back and forth. We're going to talk about the two Marauder units. First, we have Horsemen, right? Yep. And they are 12-inch move, two wounds, six up save, five bravery. Five. That's just... So bad. They have a javelin that they can throw, 12-inch range, one attack, 4 by 4s minus 1, 1 damage. And they're 105 for 5. And then they've got all kinds of stuff here. All models have to be armed with the same weapon. That doesn't apply to a couple of units in this book. Champion adds 1 to attacks. Standard bearer adds 1 to bravery. Musician adds 1 to charge. If they take a shield, they have a save of 5 up. Ooh, okay. Feigned flight. This unit can retreat and still shoot and or charge later in the same turn. Okay. Retreat and charge. That's never a bad thing. That's fun. In addition, add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit. They made a retreat move in the same turn. Okay. On the flail, you can get them to two up, right? Two up to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. And then subtract one from wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons that target this unit. Missile weapons. Missile weapons. Yep. Sorry. Or if you give them Nurgle. Also melee weapon. Yeah. Yeah, they're whatever. Marauders on foot are suffering the sins of the past. They're they 85 are. points for 10 of them. They are just trash. Six inch move, six Sorry. up save, bravery five, one wound. Trash. You can give them an axe and a shield or a flail. Plus one attack for the champion, plus one bravery for the standard, plus one charge for the musician. RIP, turn your lowest dice into a six. <laughs> the shield gives you a five up save instead of a six up and then you add one to hit rolls if you made a charge move in the same turn Ooh. they are perfectly fine to take in your army as screens sure you are no longer building your army on the backbone of units of 20 or 20, more 20 to 30 yeah. that do really ridiculous stuff pull one out for your marauder units r.i.p yeah there we go all right now we got a few monsters here in this book yeah kind of fun Sure. They're fun. Okay. Let's just say that. The first one is the Mutilith Vortex Beast, which I was all crazy about the last book, but not so much anymore because there's so many other great choices in this book. They're 185 per piece. They move 10 down to 4, 14 wounds, 4 up save, 7 bravery. They have Crushing Claws, 2-inch range, 4 attacks, 4 to hit. From 1 to 4 to wound, minus 1 D3, then the Betentacled Maul. <laughs> Which is crazy, and it is B-tentacled for sure. Two-inch range from 3d6 down to d3 attacks. Four by fours minus one, one. In your hero phase, you can heal up the d3 wounds allocated because it can regenerate. It's like a ugly troll. In your hero phase, you can pick one enemy unit with an 18, roll a dice, and look up the corresponding effect on the table below. If this unit is within nine inches of a Zinch wizard, you can roll two dice and pick one of the two. Uh, none of these are terrible, and they are cumulative. So if you did this more than once to an enemy unit, it could, could add up, I suppose. Yeah. And if you did something stupid, like take two or three of them, that you could really start adding up things like that, of course. Sure. Uh, hey, you know, why not? Let's Dreamers can dream. That's the way that is. You take the spoilers. They're 16 wounds apiece. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yep. All right. All you right. You take the demon prince that heals... 
three wounds on them. Yes. You know what? Okay, I'm talking myself into this not being the okay. dumbest idea. In All the right. World. Okay, All right. good. Thank you, Brendan, for the help there. Yeah. I appreciate that, buddy. First, you can subtract one from bravery for a unit for the rest of the battle, which is nice. You can also, if you roll a two, subtract one from run rolls for the rest of the battle. For number three, you subtract one from move characteristic for the rest of the battle. If you roll a four, D3 mortals. If you roll a five, D6 mortals. If you roll a six, you do D6 mortals and... If any models were slain, one of them changes into a spawn. <laughs> All right. And I had this spawn just sitting over here. We said mm-hmm. we should do that. I could just pull it on there. Fun. Great. It is what it is. You know what, Dan? You're right. Take four of these. Take your demon prince. Give him the Healy thing. Take a really cheap Zinch wizard. Could even be... Take the cheapest Zinch wizard that you can buy your ally into your army. And Brendan, you're going to talk about having a 50-50 chance with you know, four of them with that you're wizard. Right. Yep. Four D six on something within eighteen inches. Wow. Four D six mortals. Oh, that would be so good. So dumb. <laughs> Four eight hundred points. Yeah, you can commit a thousand points of your army into doing the most <laughs> silliest thing ever. Something so dumb. But it's so uh, much fun. And it's all about the fun. The Soul Grinder. Okay. That's a unit that I know we've all definitely seen before. Yes, we have. Two hundred and thirty points. I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. 12-inch move down to 6, 4-up save, bravery 10, 18 wounds into spoilers, right? You know, 20 wounds. 20 wounds. Yeah. You have a couple of choices to make. It's armed with a Harvester Cannon, Phlegm Bombardment, Hellforge Claw, Piss and Driven Legs, and then one of the following choices, either the Warp Metal Blade or the Demon Bone Talon. You know, the good news is you get both of these range profiles, the Harvester Cannon, 16-inch range, 6 attacks down to 3, 4s by 3s, rend 1, damage 1, mm-hmm. Phlegm Bombardment, 20-inch range, 1 attack, 4s by 3s, rend 2, damage 3, and Brendan, one of the rules says you can run and still shoot yes. later. So that effectively makes the range for this thing pretty good. I mean, if you're just rolling a one on your run roll, it's like 28 inches or 29 inches on the one and 33 inches on the other. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. You know? So for 230 points. Anyway. Let you keep the piston-driven legs, one inch range, six attacks down to three, fours by threes, rend one, damage two. The Hellforge Claw, two inch range, one attack, fours by threes, rend two, damage D6. And then this is where your choice comes into play. Warp Metal Blade, two inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, rend two, damage three. Mm-hmm. Or the Demon Bone Talon, two inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage D3. The Hellforge Claw, which has one attack. The unmodified hit roll is a six. It, inflect, it inflicts D6 mortal wounds and the sequence ends. Okay. I don't hate it. No. It's a monster. It has Mark of Chaos. The other thing to think about is the size of the base on this thing is monstrous for a monster. It's like 160 mils centered this thing on an objective. Literally, you can't contest that objective without attacking this thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to kill it to get it off the board if you want to even contest that objective. It's big enough to force you to have to engage it. But you just have to get six models on it. The Mark of Chaos thing isn't a bad thing, right? No. You you can make it Nurgle. You can make it minus one to wound. You can throw it into a unit and just be like, look, we're going to be here a while. I don't think you entertain Zinch. I really don't think you entertain Undivided. Mm -mm. Uh, No. You could do Corn. I don't hate this. No. It's a lot of wounds. And having to move it and still put up with all those attacks is this a lot of stuff it can unleash hell you know i mean there's all kinds of things going on there that... it's gonna eat a lot of command points but yes yeah. the next one is the slaughter brute movement 10 down to four 14 wounds four up save seven bravery it has two melee weapons it has the razor tip claws two inch range and eight attacks down to five 
four by threes minus one d3. And then the mighty jaws are one inch range, two attacks, fours to hit, ones down to fours to wound, and no rem but three damage. Okay. Sigils of Enslavement. When you select this unit to be part of your army, you can choose one Slaves of Darkness hero or one core mortal hero in your army to be its master. The unit can receive the following commands if they are issued by the master. The first one is leave none alive. You can use this first one at the start of your combat phase. The unit that issues the command must be the unit's master. Yes, of course. All right. Until the end of that phase, Use the top row of this unit's damage table, okay? Or you can say let loose the chains, and until the end of that... Charge phase? Yeah, charge phase. There it is. You can attempt to charge with this unit if it's within 18. Roll 3d6 for a charge, okay? Get it engaged. Make people kill it. Then unbridled ferocity. At the end of the combat phase, if this unit is within 3 inches of an enemy unit, more than 12 inches from its master, pick one enemy unit within 3, and on a up that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds and this unit suffers one between the three monsters i think the soul grinder is the only one to seriously consider here is yeah 175 for the slaughter brutes not bad they all eat command points they all serve kind of a weird role that Mm -hmm. doesn't super fit the last big chunk that we have to fight through here is the cultist section so what we're going to do is take a quick break is our second break because there are slam our head against our books (laughs) yes And then we'll come back and talk about cultists. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. All right, Brendan, the first unit that isn't actually cultist, but we're kind of including it in is the Legionnaires. Mm -hmm. And the Legionnaires are five inch move, one wound, four up save, seven bravery. They have one weapon. It's one inch range, two attacks, three by fours, minus one, one damage. One in every eight models, so that means there are eight when you pay 110 points. Add one to the attack characteristics for the leader. There is one in every eight can be a mutant door. Add one to the attack characteristics of that model. And then three in every eight must be a horn helm. Add one to the damage characteristics of those models' melee weapons. Okay, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, most of these cultists have... Three or four different kinds of things. In uh, there. Crazy. So confusion. This is the great one. Once per turn at the start of any phase, any phase, you could say this unit will sow confusion. If you do so, pick an enemy unit within six inches, roll a dice on a four up that unit cannot issue or receive commands in that phase. Woof. You can't pick the same unit as the target for this ability more than once in the same phase. That's really good, Brendan. And you only have to be within six inches of it. I mean, you don't even need to be in contact with a unit. You could be behind something else and say, oh, yeah, by the way, no inspiring presence for you. No alt defense for you. No alt attack for you. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. For 110 points, sure. And then devoted to the dark gods, add one to the wound rolls for attacks made by this unit while it is wholly within 12 inches of a friendly bellicor. Eh, okay. Nice. If you're taking Bellicor, sure. Why not? All right. That is it for Legionnaires. Yeah. The Horns of Hashut, five inch move, four up save, bravery six, one wound. So they have a range weapon, the Flame Hurler. Not everything can, can do that, but mm-hmm. Flame Hurler is eight inch range. The attack characteristics is equal to the number of models in the target unit to a maximum of eight per mm-hmm. you know, shooting attack. Mm-hmm. Twos by threes, no run damage one. And the forge weapons are one inch range, two attacks, threes by fours, no run damage, one. Runator Alpha, you add one to their melee characteristics. So that's one in every 10. 
They are effectively the champions. The Runators are one in every ten. You had one to the attacks characteristics with their melee weapons. You have Demolisher with Flame Hurler. One in every ten models is a Flame Hurler that is armed with the ranged attack and the forged weapons. Okay, and one of the things to note here, Brendan, is that these cultists now can issue commands to their own units. Assuming that they have... Right, that particular model. Yes. Yes. Still, that's very good. They have Stampede of Iron. After this unit makes a charge move, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll one dice for each model in this unit. For each six, that enemy unit suffers a mortal wound. And there are ten models in this unit for 100 points. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we have the spiders. These are super dumb. <laughs> yeah. Eight-inch move, one wound, six up save, six bravery. They have Invenom projectiles, eight-inch range, one attack, four by twos, no ren, one damage, and then... Brood weapons and venomous bites. The brood stuff is two inch range, two attacks, four by fours, no rend anywhere here. And then one damage or the bites are one inch range, four attacks, five by threes, five by three. That's such a bizarre combination. And one damage. So one in every 13 models. So for 100 points, you are getting 13 models. You add one to the attack characteristics there, and it can issue its commands to its unit. The spider swarms. Three in every 13 can be spider swarms. Spider swarms are armed with venomous bites instead of brood weapons and envenom projectiles. When this unit makes a move, it can pass across terrain features. Of course it can because it's climbing around like spiders. And then finally, at the start of the hero phase, you can return D3 slain spider swarms to this unit for each broodmaster in this unit. Okay? Yeah, these are really good screens. Seems like they'd last a while with all that. Now for the single, maybe dumbest combination of rules. Oh, God. In this book, Dan, the Splintered Fang, six-inch move, five-up save, bravery six, one wound, poisoned weapon, one-inch range, three attacks, fours by twos, no rend, damage one. Brendan, that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah, not so bad. True Blood, uh, (laughs) plus one attack, so he's at four. That's pretty neat. Serpent Collar, one in every ten, add one of the attacks characteristics, so another four attacks. Serpents, one in every ten is a serpent that has a... My wounds characteristics of two. And by the way, you're getting 10 models for 100 points here, yep. which is insane. Unmodified hit rolls for six are a mortal wound. The sequence ends, <laughs> and you can return one slain serpent model in your hero phase for each serpent collar for this unit. If you take the Idolater Lord, they get marked corn, so off the charge, they're four attacks apiece. Mm. You can then also go and grab the uh, banner blood secretor to be yeah. five attacks a piece six attacks to the champion of the serpent collar for just 10 of them that's 50 attacks they're dishing out probably around eight to ten mortals again mm-hmm. for a hundred points brendan yep nuts dumb oh my gosh yeah that's pretty good let's think about this for just 200 points and think about other stuff we talked about that costs 200 points this thing could dish out 100 attacks and on average, about 16 mortals. Yeah, you take two units for 100 points <laughs> each. 100 attacks, Dan. That's crazy, buddy. As you sit uh, there and you go, excuse me while I roll this bucket of dice. <laughs> How many are in there? 100. I counted them. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I'm going to roll them. on the have a giant dice tray that's like two by four, right? Oh, my God. Nuts, nuts. I'm 100 only- attacks. 
That's crazy. Now, you could put them in a unit of 20, right, and still get them in? Go but, MSU, because they're okay. bravery six, they're five yeah. up save, split them, your units in pieces, yep. have more opportunities to charge into things. Yep. Dumb. And remember, if you take Ravagers, you can get half of them back. Woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> Dumb. It's only 50 attacks now for the two units. I like this next unit. I think this is a neat addition to the book overall that you have this capability now. So this is the Corvus Cabal, six inch move, one wound, six up. Six bravery. Raven darts, eight inch range, one attack, four by fours, no rend, one damage. And then hooked weapons, one inch range, two attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. The shatter piercer is add one, two attacks, issues commands. You're getting nine models for 80 points here. One in every nine uh, must be a shrike talon, add one to the attacks characteristic, fine. This is the thing here, there's two of these. This unit, and this is crazy. Death from above, this unit is not visible to enemy units while it's in cover. Holy mutt! Yeah, that's pretty all right. <laughs> that's pretty all right. In addition, if this unit attempts a charge while it's wholly within a terrain feature, it can fly when it makes a charge move in that phase. Uh, okay, that's amazing. You can get them so close, and you can't shoot at them. That's really good. But, bonus, we have Denizens of Ulgu. Instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you place this unit in one side and say it's set up in the shadows as a reserve unit. If you do so, at the end of your movement phase, you can set up this unit anywhere on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units. Any reserve units in the shadows that are not set up, we know that by the fourth battle round, are destroyed. Brendan, you could set this up in a piece of terrain more than nine inches away from an enemy unit. Mm-hmm. but close, you know, within, let's say, 9 to 12 inches, and nobody could shoot at it. They're going to have to go after You're going to have to commit resources to this 80-point unit so that it doesn't charge something or it doesn't take a piece of terrain, you know, if you're doing despoilers or something else like that. That is so good. And it's such a neat aspect that this book doesn't have with all the other cool things and all the other combos we're talking about. This is just one more thing to add for literally almost no points. All right. I really like the Unmade. Okay. Six inch move, six up save, bravery six, one wound, 80 points for nine models. Maiming weapons, one inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no rend damage one. <laughs> Their unit champion, nightmare sickles, one inch range, six attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage one. The blissful one is the champion. Uh, joyous one, one in every nine. You add one to the attacks characteristics. Fine. That's not why you're taking them. Taking them for frozen in fear. Enemy units cannot receive the redeploying rally commands while they are within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability. Poof. 12 inches. Yep. Not wholly within, just within. Really, really good. 80 points. Ugh, nuts. The next one is Cypher Lords, and these folks are 80 points for eight models. Six inch move, one wound, six up save, six bravery. We have Throwing Stars, this is eight inch range, one attack, four by fours, no rend, one damage. And then Exotic Blades, two attacks, one inch range, three by fours, no rend, one damage. The hand-to-hand stuff with most of these units are just nothing. It's the extra rules here. Yep. Let's just be honest with most of these, if not all of these cultists. It's, it's just all those extra rules that are fun. Alright, so the Thrallmaster is the champion. Does what it does. Acrobatic leaps. When this unit makes a move, it can pass across other models in the same manner as a unit that can fly. In addition, after this unit moves, excluding piling moves, you can pick one enemy unit it passed across and roll a dice for each model in this unit. For a six, you get a mortal. That's okay. You've only got eight models, so you're not going to get a whole lot out of that. But you have shattered gloom globes. While this unit includes any thrall masters at the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within three inches. On a four up, subtract one from hit rolls for that unit. Not as strong as some of the other stuff, but still not bad. All right, Brendan, we're getting there. Signs of the Flames. 
I think these guys kind of suck. Yeah. 80 points, 6-inch move, 6-up save, bravery 6, 1 wound. Now, all of them do have sign weapons and flame burst pots, and the flame burst pots are okay. 8-inch mm-hmm. range, 1 attack, 4 by 3s, no run damage 1. You say, Brendan, that seems ridiculous. All shall burn if an attack made with a flame burst pot targets an enemy unit that has 10 or more models. Every hit counts as 3 instead of 1. Mm-hmm. Not bad. Engulfing flames... From the Inferno Priest, 8-inch range, D6 attacks, 3s by 3s, no ren, damage 1. And then Cyan weapons, 1-inch range, 2 attacks, 4s by 4s, no ren, damage 1. The Blazing Lord adds 1 to the attacks characteristics. Immolators are 1 and 8. At the end of the combat phase, pick an enemy unit within 1 inch. On a 2-up, they take D3 mortal wounds. Okay. Not bad. Yeah. The Inferno Priest, they have the engulfing flames instead of the flame burst pots. Right, and you're getting 8 models for 80 points. Yep. Here. I think you just have better choices. Yeah. Then we get Spire Tyrants. 5-inch move, 1 wound, 4-up save, 6 bravery. That's about the best save we've seen so far. You have a... Gladiatorial weapons, yeah, that's surprising. One inch range, two attacks, four by fours, no rend, one damage. That sounds strangely familiar. You have a pit champion who is the champion. You had a head claimer who adds one to damage. You have a bestigore destroyer, adds one to the damage. Fight for glory. Add one to the attack characteristics of this unit's melee weapons while they're wholly within nine inches of any friendly mortal hero. Okay, that's three attacks, but on four by four, I really don't care because you're getting nine of these guys for 80. Veterans of the War Pits do not take battle shock tests for this unit while they're within three of any enemy units. Again, other choices. I'm not taking them. Mm-hmm. So how about the Iron Golems? Five-inch move, four-up save, bravery six, one wound. They are all armed with bolas and legion weapons, so the bolas are eight-inch range, one attack, fours and fours, no run damage one, and the legion weapons, one-inch range, two attacks, fours and fours, no run damage one. Mm-hmm. One and eight is a dominar, add one to the attacks characteristic, one and eight's a standard bearer, add one to the bravery characteristics, one in every eight is an ogre breacher, that is a wounds characteristic of three. Mm. If you did not make a normal move in the same turn, attacks that target the unit, you get plus one to your save rolls free all-out defense as long as you didn't make a normal move in the turn, which... Models are pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right, we have Untamed Beasts. Still good. Yep. Six-inch move, one wound, six up, six bravery. Jagged Harpoon, eight-inch range, one attack, three by threes, minus one D3. Hunting weapons are one-inch range, two attacks, four by fours, no run, one damage. Heart Eater is the champion. You have a First Fang, is armed with the Jagged Harpoon and hunting weapons, and the Rock Tusk has a wound characteristic of two. Unleash the beast. This unit can run and still charge in the same turn. In addition, after armies are set up before the first battle round, this unit can make a normal six inch move. Reposition them a little bit, all good. That's not terrible. The units that are worthwhile in here are units that have special rules that either buff or debuff something. The ones that do mortal wounds, things like that. Those seem to be the ones that for the points from 80 to 100 so far are the ones that are worth looking at. The last one here, Darko Savagers, 100 points. These are, I think, actually pretty all right. Six inch move, five up save, bravery six, one wound. They all have Dark Oath weapons, one inch range, two attacks, fours by fours, no run damage, one. Slaughterborn, one in every ten. You add one to the attacks characteristic. Proven, two in every ten, add one to the damage characteristic. Godspeaker, one in every ten. At the start of your hero phase, you roll one dice for each Godspeaker in this unit. For each six, you receive one command point that can only be spent during this turn to allow a Slaughterborn from this unit to issue a command. Okay. Fine. Deathblow, unmodified hit rolls for attacks made with Dark Oath weapons is a six. In addition to any normal damage, not bad for a 100-point battle line screen. Not at all. And then Oath of Conquest, if you gain control of an objective previously controlled by your opponent while this unit is contesting it, it is this unit fills its oath. Once this unit fulfills its oath, 
until the end of the battle, this unit has a five up ward. Okay. Yeah. And I, you're getting, what, 10 models for 100 points. Mm -hmm. All right. Now the weird, stupid monsters. <laughs> and they are bizarre. Except for the Furies. There's a couple here that... Stupid Furies. <laughs> Raptorix mm -hmm. is a 10-inch move, two wounds, six up save, six bravery. It has one attack, one inch range. It has, yeah, beaks and talons. So one inch range, two attacks, three by three is minus one, one damage. Crazed Flock, add one to the attacks characteristic of this unit's melee weapons if it made a charge move. Okay, three on three by threes. A Dark Symbiosis, do not make battle shock tests for this unit while it is wholly within three inches of a friendly monster. All right. 80 points for six of them? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, you're getting 12 wounds for 80 points. It's not yeah. terrible. They move 10 inches. Furies, you move <laughs> six for 90 points. 12-inch move, six-up save, bravery six, two wounds, razor-sharp daggers and claws, one-inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, run one, damage one. They fly, and then in the combat phase, when you pick them to fight, instead you can choose to make a retreat move. They're battle line in a legion of the First Prince Army, mm -hmm. which is pretty neat. Then we have the Angry Cat. Which is real good. Angry Cat, very good. Yeah, 10-inch move, 10 wounds, five up. Nine bravery is not a monster. It has shredding claws, one inch range, five attacks, three by threes minus one, two damage. So not bad. Not bad for the attacks. But dominate mind at the start of each combat phase. Pick one enemy unit within nine and roll 2d6. If the roll equals or exceeds, so it's equals, that's nice. The bravery characteristic of the enemy unit, the strike last effect applies to that unit until the end of the phase. You cannot pick the same unit as the target for this ability more than once, okay? Nice. 95 points. Strike last of... And again, this is one where if they're within nine, you could sit them back and have them do this and support something else. 95 yeah. points. That's really good. For 10 wounds, yeah, that's pretty good, Brendan. Fomeroid Crusher comes in at 100 points. Six-inch move, five-up save, bravery six, ten wounds. They can hurl terrain. Twelve-inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, red uh, one, damage two. He's so silly. They have the crushing fist and swinging masonry. So silly, man. One-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, no red <laughs> damage two. You add one to the damage characteristic of this unit's weapons while it's within one inches of any terrain features. The chuck terrain is damage three if you're within wow. one inches of terrain and then they are cursed destroyers in your hero phase you pick one terrain feature within six inches of this model and roll a dice for each other unit within six inches of that terrain feature and any that garrison it on a three up that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds in addition if the terrain feature picked is a faction terrain feature a defensible terrain feature and the rolls of three or more the terrain feature is demolished and if it was defensible and the scenery rules in the war scroll cannot be used for the rest That's of the battle huge you got to get this there though. Uh, like, right you got to get it there but okay like sylvaneth trees you lose everything on the war scroll but they still function in whatever ways that aren't on the war scroll so you can still teleport to them okay but, but they don't block terrain they don't kill things they don't do all right. those if it's fun on the stuff. war scroll it's gone okay got it and everyone was upset about the bone tithe nexus well, there you go. I promise I'm not bitter about it. Um, <laughs> All we really have left is our... Endless spells, endless battle spells. tactics, strategies. Oof. We're almost there, Dan. All right, buddy. Okay. Eightfold Doom Sigil. Mm -hmm. Casting value of a five, range of six. Set it up wholly within range, visible to caster. Only slaves of darkness wizards can attempt to summon it. Empowered by atrocity. Keep track of the number of models that are slain within 12 inches of this endless spell each turn. At the end of each turn, roll a dice for each model that was slain within 12 inches. For each three up, the player whose turn is taking place must pick one Slaves of Darkness unit wholly within 18 inches of this endless spell. Add one of the attacks characteristics of that unit's melee weapons. 
excluding those of its mounts, till your opponent's next hero phase. A unit cannot benefit from this ability more than once per turn. I really like it. I don't know any other way of going about it. It's a free plus one attack. There's a weird interaction with like your opponent's turn and things like that, and it's mm-hmm. especially weird interaction if your opponent is also playing Slaves of Darkness. Sure. But for the most part, what I found in its previous incarnation, which was the same, as long as it's well-placed, you're going to be able to get plus one attack on basically everything that you want. Including my Theradons. Yes, including your Theradons. Okay. <laughs> Dan, just stop. Yes. All right. Yep, it is just <laughs> Slaves of Darkness unit. The Realm Scourge Rupture is the next one. It's a casting value of 7 and a range of 9. It is predatory and can move up to 9. After this endless spell is moved, roll one dice for each unit that has any models it passed across and for each other unit within one inch of it at the end of its move. On a 2-up, that unit suffers D3 mortals and their move characteristic is halved until the end of the next battle round. Pretty good. All right. Not bad. And finally, the Demon Riff. Yeah, the Demon Riff. The endless spell that broke endless spells the last time around. Yeah, last time around. Casting value of 7 and a range of 9. If successfully cast, set up this endless spell wholly within range. Uh, more than one from all other models. Slave Darkness Wizards only. Predatory can be moved 9 inches and can fly. After this endless spell is moved, roll a dice for each unit that has any models it passed across and for each other unit within 1 inch of it. At the end of its move, on a 2-up that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. Add 1 to the number of mortal wounds caused by this endless spell for each other endless spell within 12 inches of this endless spell after it is moved. If your opponent has none of them, the most that you can do is D3 plus 2. You can no longer be D3 plus 12. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it was also wizards. Um, good fix. So those are the War Scrolls. Yeah, they are. Let's go talk about battalions and strategies and, and things. And tactics. Strats and tactics. So your battalions, first of which is a Chaos Warband, which includes one mandatory Slaves of Darkness leader, four mandatory Slaves of Darkness units that are not leader, behemoth, or vanguard, four optional units. And an optional war shrine. Well, it's technically a behemoth, which would also be a war shrine. And that's the behemoth you're probably taking. Right. Optional to be unified or slayers. The more units you take, the more I'd say you want to be unified. Mm-hmm. Overlords of Chaos. Three units of mandatory Varengard. Three units of optional Varengard is either unified or expert. Right. There's no way to get extra... Artifacts. artifacts and stuff here. Nope. Not in this one. Not terrible. Nope. Not great. The um, fact that it, there are unified ones here are useful. The Chaos Warband one is going to be yep. especially useful if you go spam cultists. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It lets you bring eight units into the unified part rather than Jeez. five. So you're being efficient with your choices potentially. Okay. So strategies, Dan. Strats. Strats. Yeah. It's kind of like, all right. Fine. Not, like, excited about anything here. The first one's Dominating Presence for the strats. When the battle ends, you complete this one if there's at least one friendly Slave the Darkness unit wholly within each large quarter of the battlefield. We've talked about this before. Extremely difficult to yes. do. Follow the Path of Dark Glory. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you rolled the Dark Apotheosis result on the Eye of the Gods table one or more times during the battle. Totally outside of your control. Yep. It is variance-based. Mm-hmm. No thank you. Bring Rune to the Realms. It's completed if at least four battle tactics and every battle tactic uh, you completed is from Glory of Chaos list below. And we'll talk about that. I don't hate that one. No. It's not easy, though. No. How about the last one? And then Masters of Dark Ritual. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are any Slaves of Darkness endless spells in the battlefield that you set up. Okay. If you have any wizards, that should be very doable. But it's I mean. also very preventable on your opponent's side. Sure. Because right. you can dispel them, yeah. Yep. 
Why don't you start us off with these tactics? So the tactics, enthrall the chaos, pick one objective marker on the battlefield that is within 12 inches of any enemy units. You complete this battle tactic if there are no enemy units within 12 inches of that objective marker at the end of this turn. Not impossible. I mean, if you're planning for it and you have a target and you've got the setup eyed and you've got everything lined up sure you can get that one yep uh, lust for power pick one friendly slaves of darkness hero that has eye of the gods keyword you complete this battle tactic if you roll in the eye of gods table for that hero during this turn that's very doable yep the march of ruin pick one friendly slaves of darkness unit that includes a standard bearer with an ensorcelled banner as not within enemy territory you complete this battle tactic if the end of this turn that unit is wholly within enemy territory and within three inches of any other friendly units. Yeah, manageable, especially on units like knights. Mm-hmm, because it probably will have a standard bear. Okay, Iconoclasts, pick one enemy unit that's a priest or a totem. You complete this battle tactic if you destroy it at the end of this turn. Tough. Not a lot of things have those keywords. Right, so you're relying on... Your opponent. Yeah, and a lot of times, either one of those are not things that are easy to kill. <laughs> so there is that. Champions of Chaos, you complete this battle tactic if at the end of your turn there are three or more friendly heroes within three inches of enemy heroes. Woof. No. And then run them down, you complete this one if at the end of your turn three or more friendly Save the Darkness units made a charge move in that turn. Sure. Super doable. Yeah. The trouble then, right, is bring ruin to the realms requires you to complete four of them. There are four of them here that I would say are completable. You have to complete all of them. Yeah, so that's, yeah right, right, right. None of those grand strategies are doing anything for me. There's a couple of the tactics that are doable, but otherwise, no. So, Dan, final thoughts. Loving this book. Inspired to, you know, build some models and try out different things, even if it's just mental exercises of going through, what is this going to look like? What's that going to look like? What are the points going to be if I get this kind of a model? I just love the fact that units that that weren't taken before or weren't even considered, and I'm talking about cultists specifically, can have a great deal of value in this army. And I think it is neat that you're incentivized in a lot of ways by the rules for some specific cultist units to take them because they add a great deal to your army or they add a great deal of potential for very little point return. Given the points that you have to pay for other things, and we've talked about how much you can really take and how many models you're going to actually put on the board because of the prices. I think the cultists are a great alternative to get return on your investment. I love that part of the book. The rules overall, I love the flexibility. I love all the ways that you can mix and match the marks, the banners, everything else. Just really, really fun to learn this book and to look at the possibilities of it. If you are a Slaves to Darkness collector in that you like collecting the whole range of everything that is Slaves to Darkness, right. you're going to have a field day with this book until it gets rewritten because you're going to be able to take whatever the change is from either the handbook or a battle scroll mm-hmm. and just adjust to whatever is next. For people with competitive leans, the mixed arms... I think is going to be quite good, right? You know, you've got some cultists, you have some foot stuff, you have some mounted stuff, you know, a real kind of ravening chaos horde. That's going to be quite good. Mm -hmm. I am all about right now the effectively all mounted army Mm -hmm. in Legion with Korn, where you can just throw stuff across the board. It's a super alpha. You've got a really high save, buffing everything to the nines. Toss it in there. Archeon is playable. I don't know how much you're going to see him, but Mm. it's in there. Bellicor is still very useful, right? Legion is going to be very different. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's going to be very different. I hope we 
you know, explained enough where going monomark isn't necessarily the way to go. It's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. But if you go and choose to take your different marks, you can field slightly different units that do different things. Like you can take a turbocharged unit of corn knights and throw it into your opponent and then have some slanesh chariots for some extra charges to throw up the side, and then the core center of your army could just be Nurgle stuff that Mm -hmm. is going to be tough to move. I think there's some interesting despoilers lists, even beyond just what we were talking about, even if it's just you're leaning heavy on uh, your demon princes, where every demon prince can take command traits, and then Mm -hmm. filling out the list with cultists, I think, Mm -hmm. could be very interesting, because one of the command traits that you take then is the mark of that general, and then the cultists share that mark, and then you've got a bunch of turbocharged demon princes running around the field doing all sorts of silly things. I'm really interested to see what a lot of people do with this book, Mm -hmm. because Slaves of Darkness has gone kind of in phases where... You saw a lot of Knights of the Empty Throne there for a while. You still see them now. You saw a lot of Archeon. For a brief moment in time, you saw a million Marauders. You're not going <laughs> to see that anymore. No, no. I know there's a lot of units that we said you know we don't super love, but I mean, think about the Stormcast book. There's units that we didn't even talk about right. because you and I sat down, looked at it, and said, there's literally no reason to take this unit when this mm-hmm. unit exists. Right. I could see someone justifying why they take any unit of cultists over XYZ right. choice, whatever, yeah. especially in the case of some of them, if you know what your target-rich environment is going to look like, there are going to be some that you see quite a bit more of than others. <laughs> For sure. You know, Corvus Cabal is going to be very, 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 very popular. Untamed Beasts are still going to be extremely common. Splintered Fang now is going to be... Yeah, unless we see oh. something fix them, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. And part of it is the way that the corn book works. It's the oldest. Its mechanics aren't locked into Blades of Corn. It's locked into Keyword Corn. Mm. So a lot of that could also get fixed with the integration of modern language in the corn book that matches the other three blades of corn versus corn yeah that exactly kind of thing. yep the fact that you can ally in i mean goodness gracious you have so many choices to pick from in terms of beasts of chaos blades of corn zinch nurgle and hedonites it's <laughs> great there are just some heroes and some units that you look at and you go it just makes sense to put them in here mm-hmm this is not a battle tome for so like yeah it has a wide range of things you have a lot of choices it's not a battle tome for just jumping in and looking for immediate success Mm -hmm. if you have experience this is a book that you can put a lot of expertise into Mm -hmm. and then take it a lot of miles okay all right folks that's it for slaves to darkness wow long one yeah but that's okay we're gonna move on then as usual to scriptorium etc 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 Okay, it is scriptorium time. We have a few new releases, not a whole lot of stuff. The first book is Hammers of Sigmar, First Forged, and it is a Stormcast book. It is in ebook and audio, so you can listen to it. I'm sure, based on the description, if you are a Stormcast fan or you are specifically a Hammers of Sigmar fan, this book would be of great interest to you. So good luck with that. I'm not a big Stormcast Stories fan, but... I'm sure that a lot of people are going to enjoy it. The next new book that's come up is Heirs of the Emperor. What they've done is they've taken a lot of short stories out of the Primark anthologies that they've written in the Heresy Time. And it's 26 stories. So it's pretty good mix and a lot of stories for the value. It's not in audio yet, but I'm waiting for when it is. I will definitely download it and listen to that one. Sounds very interesting. The next Go Trick and Felix book, Orc Slayer, is out, which is cool. It's old world, obviously. Not the new stuff, but Gotrek has some kind of a 
you know, of course he's a dwarf. He has some kind of an oath he's taken or something. And he and Felix have to go rescue some dwarf prince who's losing his kingdom underground or something like that. So it sounds fun. I mean, if you're a GoTrek fan, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. The last one that's come out is Gods of Mars. It is the third and final book of the Admech series that Graham McNeil wrote. They're priests, lords, and then Gods of Mars is the third book. I am starting to listen to priests. I've had it in my queue forever, but now that I'm doing more hobbying, I'm going to give it a start because it's a pretty long book, but it's typical Graham which is a good thing from my perspective. It's admech focused, but what's interesting is there are all kinds of other parts of it. Like I would say the first quarter of the book that I've listened to so far is a lot of it is humans, like regular people that are crew. Like they're actually these guys sitting in a bar and this impressment gang comes in with, they look like, what do they call them? The Arbides guys, mm-hmm. you know, the cops. They, look like they come in and they're just doing like the British used to do, go into pubs and stuff and just grab people and throw them in the back of these trucks and all all of a sudden they're in a starship being a crew and I'm like whoa this is the 40th millennium like just bizarre anyway it's an interesting book and if you're admech this is very cool the story is basically about an explorer fleet and a giant explorer ship this thing is just massive that goes out and does what admech do look for stuff so those are the new releases brendan how about your stuff man the only thing new that I'm here to talk about is, Dan, you and I talked about this on the front end of the show yeah, yeah. before we got started, was listeners, some of you might remember in 2017, there was a murder of a Swedish journalist on a Danish inventor submarine. There was a lot of what happened. Obviously, yeah. it, it came to understanding the you applied Occam's razor to the situation. The inventor killed her where normally like a lot of these documentaries are, you know, they're walking through like everything that happened. It just so happened that a different journalist 12 to 18 months before the murder had occurred had embedded herself with his knowledge on his team of engineers and people who were trying to work towards this private space launch project that he was working on sure and so she has like real-time reactions from the people that worked closely with him that considered him you know a friend and their reactions to the news as it came out and their realization and their understanding and and the film that she had taken actually proved to be really important evidence as you know for the actual trial Mm. it just so happened that like while this happened like there was this other person who was just there Mm -hmm. and they cut up what was going to be her documentary footage for a totally different thing like she was there originally for kind of following the progress of this you know wacky inventor guy (laughs) and sure you know and this thing that they're trying to do and that and obviously the documentary changed the context of everything that was occurring changed immediately they do a really good job of cutting up her footage in a way where it shows the character of this person where it starts off as this like he's just weird just eccentric he's an eccentric it happens and as time goes along you know you have the main thread of because it opens with something happened here Mm -hmm. and then you know you have all these flashbacks of her time there and the more time she spends with him the more openings you realize like oh this is a bad dude (laughs) like he's a psychopath okay it's an hour and a half and what was it called again oh gosh i can't remember the title but it's on netflix something submarine murder yeah it was really good the odds right that you Mm. know you know to see in real time these people kind of (sighs) come to realization that they were just pieces in his manipulative plans like this must be scary looking back for these people then too well for one of the characters who are participatory in the documentary it was very scary yeah super good watch it's an hour and a half it's on netflix okay very cool 
So I started reading a book called Powers and Thrones. It's by a guy named Dan Jones, who's written a lot of medieval stuff. He wrote books on the Tudors, the Plantagenets. He wrote on the War of the Roses, all kinds of stuff. And really, really good writer. The book I'm reading now is kind of his looking again at the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. And he actually starts appropriately with the end of the Roman Empire, which is a really good transition why things are like they were, what carried over, you know, those kind of things. Just really, really good book. And, and that period of history kind of fascinates me in a lot of ways. So I'm learning a lot. And then I did listen to the Jagatai Khan, White Scar's Primark book called Warhawk of Chagoras. So good. Oh, man. Again, if you're a White Scar's fan, if you're a Khan fan, you probably would enjoy this Primark book if you haven't listened to it already. The other thing is there's so much like foreboding in this book of stuff. Like there's a lot of pretty serious discussion about the Council of Nicaea because the Primarchs had kind of divided themselves back then into two factions, you know, for and against. And there's this politicking that the Khan becomes part of because he's got his Stormseers. Right. And he's not going to give them up. And there's one point in the book where somebody asked him a question about that and he goes, I don't care what the Emperor wants. I'm keeping my Stormseer. He just said this to another Primarch. And you can imagine the reaction to that. There was also an amazing battle sequence in there where there was this group of storm seers on jet bikes right and they were trying to reach this group of orc shamans who were projecting this huge whatever it was and just the battle for them to get there and how they engaged these orc shamans and what they did to destroy them and stuff was pretty cool because they're fighting on a planet that literally covered with orcs all of them are trying to fight through all the white scars but they've kind of focused on this one part of the battle which was very very cool and then i've started priests of mars which is the first of the books i talked about gods of mars being released and so i'm starting that series now it's going to be a lot of listening but i'm going to be doing a lot of hobby so that'll last me a while in terms of watching, Sydney and I finished watching Wednesday. It was really good. It was entertaining. If you're into murder mysteries, I think you would enjoy it. There was a lot of plot twists. The writers did a really good job. It was completely unexpected. You thought you had something figured out, and you're like, no. And even in the last episode, we're going, like, what just happened? So it was very good. And I continued to watch SAS Rogue Heroes. I think it's episode five now that's up. I'm hoping to watch that today because usually a new episode comes out every weekend. Okay. And it looks like, from what I've seen, they're going to do a season two, which is really cool. I also, related to that, watched a neat documentary. It was only about 20 minutes on YouTube where one of the actors who played one of the original members of the SAS of the Long Range Engine Patrol actually met his real life counterpart who was 102 years old. Oh, cool. He said it was just amazing to talk to this man and realize that this was the person that he was portraying on the screen and hear from him and just have that privilege and stuff was very, very cool. And then the last thing I watched was a movie called Medieval. I had had a recommendation from a friend of mine who is from the Czech Republic and he said, you got to watch this, Daniel. Really enjoy this. And it was about a national hero of Czechoslovakia called Jan Zizka, and that's actually spelled Z-I-Z-K-A. Jan Zizka was actually a really prominent military leader in the Middle Ages, and he's considered one of the most effective military leaders of that time. He also was really innovative in terms of weapons and things that he developed. He developed what people call, quote, the first tank, where he used wagons as weapons on the battlefield. There was this group of rebels called the Huttites, and literally 
literally they went into battle with war wagons that they used them to block cavalry charges they would load men with muskets and like hand cannons in these things and nobody could get to them but this was an invention of Jan's it was a very entertaining movie pretty short it was only about an hour and a half but really fun and to realize it was based on real life then I called my friend back after watching he's like oh yeah wasn't it we were talking about it and that's cool that was neat that it was something that he could relate to so that's it for me for everything and I think that's it for Scriptorium man great moving on it's this or that time Brendan it is all of you start okay so most of my questions are about this amazing book we just talked about fair enough so the first one is Chosen or Warriors I'm really not sold on Chosen. Maybe I'm wrong, right? You know, the, I've been wrong on things before. Mm-hmm. I would say Warriors, probably. Okay. The next choice is Marks. Now, let's say you're going to mark an army. Corn mm-hmm. or Slanesh? Corn. Okay, Corn for sure. All right. I think a lot of the Slanesh stuff ends up being pretty redundant in the book, mm. where you can get a lot of the benefits for Slanesh by other factions in other ways. Okay, or spells or something. Yeah. Right. Okay. Perfect. Varengard or Knights? That's a good question. Because I think both are really quite good. Well, I was surprised by your reaction to the Varengard. That's why I asked this. The fight twice on the Varengard is pretty big. The four up against mortals is pretty big. They've got the same base save. A unit of five is the same wounds as a unit of three. 15 versus 15. The points difference is 60 points. So the difference is not enormous. Mm Mm-hmm. I think knights are going to be your general better bet. The reason being, host of the Everchosen, getting them to rally on that five up is pretty valuable. Mm-hmm. But you are not wrong for taking Varengard. Next question is who did you root for yesterday, Brendan? Army? Or Navy. I'm putting you on the spot here, brother. Mm. But it's it's okay either way. So you're the only Academy person of either that I know. So I, okay. I do quietly root for Navy. Okay, cool. The reality was I was rooting for a competitive and interesting game. But and it was. Yeah. As we talked before, the, the overtime was actually fascinating compared to the rest of the game to me. It was just so cool. I was really hoping we were going to see like 100 overtimes or something. So this is the first uh, overtime that they've had, yeah, but okay. there were seven ties. But they didn't have overtime rules. Right. Over, right, right. Overtime right. was first, quote unquote, yeah. invented in right. college football yeah. in 1996. Okay, so. When you think about it that way, because like at first as they were saying it, I was, that's crazy. That there have been, and that there I have know been, there, no. been, there have been ties. Yeah. I know there were. Yeah, absolutely. The last question then is cultists or demons, given what you can do with demons as well. So demons is limited. You're limited to 400 points of demons, no matter Mm -hmm. what, even in the Legion. I'd say cultists, just because you do still benefit in a lot of ways from what's in the book, right? All of the cultists, by being undivided, do pick up Eye of the Gods. You can mark them using an idolater lord, which is pretty slick having to be 400 points of demons 250 points of pink horrors right that's good yeah but yeah. what are they doing for you right. in a slaves to darkness book that 250 points of cultists isn't going to do for right you? fair enough yep you can get 380 point units of corvus cabal or something like that yeah 50 wounds of stuff is a big deal yeah but 30 wounds worth of stuff in the three different strikes. places in the board right. it's so cultists. All right. Those are my five questions. Okay. So Dan, I'll ask you a, a similar question that you asked here at first. You're building around one mark 
you know, basically a mono mark army for the most part. It's got to be 80% one mark. What mark are you building around? I'm building around corn as well because I think the choice is do you get there more reliably or do you hit harder when you do? I think there are other ways to get there more reliably. So I think having the ability to hit harder when you get there is really, really important, especially in the game as it exists now. Getting, you know, with all the... You know, you have some really good saves, you have mortal wound saves, all those kind of things, ward saves. Even if you've got enough damage coming through, it doesn't matter if you have a five-up ward. Right. You know, so fine. I just put 10 attacks through. You've got to save 30 damage. Go ahead (laughs) with your five-up ward. I think that's more important. What is the cultist unit of choice? My first choice is Corvus. Okay. Because, again, you know, I'm very high on tree revs in Sylvaneth. They're not quite that good, but they're still really, really good. And the fact that you can't shoot at them in cover, that's a game changer in a lot of ways, I think. Because people are going to be forced to go after them physically to get rid of them, and that's significant. Would you rather build an army around Archeon or Bellicor and Eternus? Only Bellicor and Eternus, just to make the points a little uh, more compelling. Archeon. Because I just love to play him. Yeah. You just because of all that. I played against him once. It was interesting. It just I've seen you play him. Just to be able to move that model around the board, would, I'd have to be so careful, though. I'd be like, oh, man. I just, He's more connected to the base than you think, I but promise. But still, it'd be like, <laughs> it'd be so, so careful every time. I'd like want to glue his base to the table when I'm transporting him, you know? I just think his combination of rules are so fun and so unique for this army. Sports question time. Ugh. The college football playoff has been officially set. Who's winning it? Your team's... Okay, so... Georgia is done. We're going to have the same conversation we had last time of... Yes. you got to beat the team that's already there. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Do you think there's another team that... Do you really think that somebody else can compete with them? I really think Michigan could do it. Okay. Be a really, really good game. So Georgia plays Ohio State. And mm-hmm. Michigan plays TCU. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ohio State can do it. I don't think TCU is going to beat Michigan. Michigan is playing the right kind of football to be in that space. Okay. Ohio State is real mm. soft. Not right now. They're no, soft. They're, they're not. Soft, soft team. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, speaking of soft teams, oh, Dan, no. both you and I have lost our head coaches for very different reasons. Yes. Uh, my head coach went home, which I don't fault him for. No. Your head coach was let go after 25 years. Of losing too many times recently to Army, yeah. essentially. Dan, as an alumni of Annapolis, what, what boxes does the athletic director have to check for the next hire uh, for you to be happy with who they bring in? We talked about this a little bit. Somebody who knows the offense, somebody who knows how to run a triple option because it's the only viable option of an offense for a military academy. And we proved that over many, many years now, decades, we proved that. So it has to be somebody who's very familiar with the triple option. I think it has to be somebody who understands the players that they are coaching because it is such a unique coaching environment. When you think about the fact that these are truly scholar athletes, and I'm not denigrating any other team in college football, but I'm telling you that collectively, the capacity of that team in terms of their scholastic achievement and what they've had to do to even get to that college is really, really high. And so I think you have a different mindset when you're coaching a group of people like that, rather than people who have really come there as athletes. That's really the difference to me. There are also different things like you can't deal with, like your name, image, and likeness stuff doesn't work the same. Oh, no. Can't can't transfer in or out of the program in the same way. Like you can't really plan on this is where I'm going to. It's my gateway to the NFL. 
hmm. because 99% of the people who go to the academies are not going to ever play professional football. So I think that's a really big part of it. And if you can't coach in that kind of environment with those players in that particular area, then I think you're going to have a little bit more of a challenge if you treat them like any other group of athletes. Well, the school also has a lot more say over what's going to be going on. Mm-hmm. Where, right. say this from experience, at least you know in a Big Ten school, the athletic program is the athletic program, mm-hmm. and the athletic program is going to do what the athletic program is going to do, and they're going to meet the bare minimum requirements of the academic profile. Yeah, it doesn't work that um, way at the academy. Not at all. Yeah. Where Not at all. it was very common to receive an email from the athletic department, you know, at the start of a semester saying, you know, hey, XYZ players from the football program or the basketball program are going to be in your class. We'd be interested in hiring you as a reporter where your whole responsibility is to mark down if they attended class or not. Mm-hmm. And you got paid like 50 bucks a week or something like Crazy. that. Crazy. Sweet job. Like, yeah, right. I mean, you don't have those issues you have to deal with. But so I think those are the two big things for me is the offense and the students they're going to be coaching. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Those are my questions. Okay. On to finally show show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Sunday announcements, any? Yes. Ultramarines upgrades and Thousand Suns upgrades for 30k are out, as well as being able to buy the Cursed City expansions again. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So, Brendan, do you have, since it's not there, Mm -hmm. you haven't said anything, so I assume it's not there, do you have a thought of when the actual book is going to come out for Slaves of Darkness? Because just listeners understanding that this book is from the box that yeah. we've gone through. I, I'm thinking the same thing. I don't think we're going to see Gits or Beasts until February, probably. Yeah, so Gits and Beasts are going to be a dual box, almost certainly. And the Slaves of Darkness stuff, three War Scrolls that are for sure, right, getting new models, right? They're yep. the ones that come in the box. Based on the models that we see in there, the Hero on Horse, the Exalted Hero, Warriors and Knights are all getting models as well. Mm-hmm. There's a meaningful release that comes along with you know, the book when it actually mm-hmm. gets released to public, but in lines with like the Leagues of Votan, you could be looking at February for Slaves. Yeah, You could see other books come out before this, which so. seems ridiculous, but, but yeah. whatever. So that's it for Sunday announcements. Any Q&A for you? I do. I had Dave Nordstrom send me this question oh. during the Army-Navy game. Oh, God. With an Army-Navy game question for you, Dave, you know, being a Army officer had a question for you, Dan. Of all of the Army-Navy alternate uniforms, which is your favorite? Because famously, the Army-Navy game is lots and lots and lots of alternate jerseys. Yeah. Some are quite cool. I found the Army uniform this year very cool. Yeah. And they usually do it in recognition of a unit or a theme of some kind. This year, West Point answered the question, what if we made our football players look like tiny little tanks? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they were honoring the first honor division. That was so fun. And Navy honored NASA this year, which I thought was very cool. Mm-hmm. Because there have been several, several, several Naval Academy graduates who have been astronauts. So I don't know. I think as I look back since my time, not just including my time there, because there really wasn't a lot of that when I was there. I think there was one year that they did some kind of recognition of, it was one of the battleships. I can't remember if it was the Iowa or the Missouri or something. But there was a famous, very, very famous battleship that they ended up it was the last big battleship that they decommissioned and i think they did something on the uniforms for that and it was pretty cool okay because they had things on the helmets and it's always the helmets that impressed me more than the rest of the uniform that i think was the one that kind of stands out if i have to think about that okay yeah what i'd really like to see happen is for the space force academy to open up (laughs) 
And then for Army Navy to be the first game of the day, and then Air Force Space Force <laughs> be the afternoon yeah, game. Yeah, right. That's never going to happen. That's what I would like to see happen. Because you know that Space Force it gets its officers from the Air Force Academy, right including now, other places. Right, right now. Yeah, I, I no different so, than man. the Air Force You know, used to get everything from... The Army. Yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. And then they it's, split off, and so the Space we'll Force... See. Yeah, we'll spa- see. It's going to be Army Navy game kicking off at noon, and then Space Force Air Force at 3.30. That'd That's the... That'd be too much. It's oh, crazy. So I had one question. Andy asked me, and I don't know which Andy this is, but Andy asked me a question about my paints. Okay. And he said, do you actually use any GW products? And I'm like... You do, yeah. A few, yeah, Andy. Because I, I talk about, and 90% of my paints literally are Army, uh, Army Painter stuff, including my contrast paints and all those things. The two things that I'd say that I use the most now, because I used to use the Night Haunt gloom and then the green i can't remember what it was there's two technical paints that i use for all of my night haunt but now the two things that i use the most are art coat and lamia medium if i want a shiny finish or a dull finish that's what i use so but other than that i don't use anything else really that's it okay easy answer Brendan, episode 113, we are taking a break over the holidays. So the earliest that we're going to get an episode, and that would be if we did a, Brendan, a recording during the week after New Year's, if we do that, would be the week after New Year's. So that would be like the weekend of the 8th or something. We might get an episode done. But if not, then for sure it would be mid-January. But I think we'll probably at this point shoot for three weeks. So uh, we'll do something first week in January, if you don't count New Year's, that we'll try to get something to you. But topic to be determined, as always. We don't really know what's going on. We may circle back on something we've already covered or who knows. But whatever it is, we'll make it interesting and we'll love it when you join us for it. That is it. And thank you, Brendan, as always, especially for this journey, man. This has been something else, even preparing for this. I spent more time on this battle to him that I have on any other well, battle to him. I'm glad I got a game in with it so I could yeah. I could really see the gears mesh together on it. How am I approaching it from a hypothetical perspective, you know, applied in practice. Sure. All right. So thank you again and listeners as always Thank you for being here with us. We really appreciate your support and appreciate you letting us know that you enjoy the show. Be sure to hit us up on Twitter because we both have, now we're both on Twitter. Hooray. We're both, you're both, we're both <laughs> active on Twitter. Hobby underscore bear or Stormcarl or Dan, either one, or cubic shenanigans at Gmail. You can hit us up there uh, for email. But otherwise, you all take care, stay safe, have a wonderful holiday season, a happy new year, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you're up to something. Bye! This is the end.